I looked at it, and I know there's kind of two schools of thought on virtual kitchens. They're either going to be the next trillion-dollar industry, or they're trash and they're going to be gone tomorrow. I have a much more simplistic view. Those that have a good product and provide a good service are going to do great, and those that don't, won't. Welcome to a new episode of Bang Gong Podcast. We haven't done this. Man. I know thanks to the magic of podcasts, it doesn't seem this way to the people listening, but we haven't actually sat in front of these mics in like a month. I feel like I've been on vacation. This has been great. Man. And now we're back here looking at each other. This is awful. <laughs> and I can't wait to leave. Oh, God. No, you're fine. It's Nick. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm Nick Jimenez. I am joined by reigning, still, even after all this time, eighth grade basketball MVP, Michael Beltran. Yep. And we are joined... By special guest, and this is the, f- correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, the first time that a guest has come on being related to a previous guest. Is it? Are you not related to Otto? Yeah, we're cousins. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh. Is this our first relative and then relative? Are Matt Kusher and Danny Surfer not related? Oh, good question. I mean, I, they what? strike me as they could be cousins. <laughs> They really do strike me as they could be cousins. I think we should put it to the test and put a yo-yo in Matt Kusher's hands. No, nah, there's no way. There's no way. Nah, Matt can't yo-yo. Can you yo-yo? I cannot yo-yo. Man, that's a shame. Although, I would probably, I should probably take it up and it would probably impress my kids. Yeah. I, mean, I have impressive bubble skills. That's I'm actually trying to get Danny Server to do like full yo-yo classes. Like an industry class of just everyone trying to do a yo-yo. That would be pretty dope. Oh, man, I would love that. So our mystery yo-yo cousin with the golden voice <laughs> is Mr... Nadal Ahmad, um, have, have I said all of that right? Yes, absolutely. Oh man, I'm a. I, I like to make sure I'm saying names right, but I don't like to make sure before I start recording. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Uh, we do everything, never, man. We do everything here ass backwards. Thanks to Nick. so N- Nadal's cousin is Otto Othman, who uh, is also one of the together. You are co-founders, although not the only co-founders, of Pincho, formerly known as Pincho Factory, which thanks to Otto's harassing people at Chicago O'Hare is now just called Pincho. I love that. Uh, That's so good. <laughs> Such a good story. Nadal has uh, has branched off and gotten into some other ventures. And I think the best way for me to do this is to just let you summarize them. Uh, and so just kind of give us the spiel here of what happened for you after Pincho. And then we'll get into, yeah, what's up? First of all, before Nick just rudely asks questions, I want to wow. thank you for being on the show. Wow. He doesn't ever take the time to say thanks. <laughs> I know you're busy. You're probably tired. But Nick's a jerk. So I'm just going to go out and say thanks for coming on the show. All uh, of our I, listeners know. Yeah. I appreciate it. I actually love the show. So I, I've, I've actually been excited to come wow. on. Wow. One and, of maybe five people. And um, I, well, I guess it's sort of a backhanded compliment because I'm like, man, these guys are as fucking chaotic as me. So these are my people. Oh, man, this is going to be a great show. Everyone (laughs) buckle up, bitch. It's going to be a long ride. Um, So where I've been since Bean Show is actually quite a loaded question. How much time do we have? Um, Bobby, we could be here all night. Don't you worry. I've, I've dabbled in a few things. I actually had my first business die from COVID before COVID actually arrived in the U.S. Uh, so my wife and I, we were rewatching a bunch of, uh, Shark Tank, uh, uh, episodes and we had watched the Mensch on the Bench one and we're like, man, just both look at each other right away. We're like, we should do this for the Muslim community and instantly called my sister. We're on the phone with her until about midnight making sketches and we came up with a toy called Aid with Saeed and 
as you know, we're in Ramadan now, and we were trying to do uh, something to kind of uh, commemorate that cool. in teaching kids to do good deeds throughout Ramadan, and then have this kind of big payoff with like a uh, writing down their their deeds throughout the month, and then a gift at the end of it. Cool. And so we hired a company uh, out of Boca to actually manufacture the the plush dolls for us. Well, what they and shame on me for not doing better diligence, but what they didn't tell us was they actually outsourced the manufacturing to Wuhan. Oh, man. Wuhan. Yeah. So we were supposed to launch in April of uh, 2020, but in December of 19, production got shut down and yeah. uh, and that got put off. We were going to try to launch it again, and then the plague reached us. Um, and so here we are. And everything's um, been haywire since. Yeah. <laughs> here comes the drink angel. Hi, Emma. Hello. Emma, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Would you like anything? I am good with the water. Uh, I'll have your cheapest brown thing, please. Yeah, the cheapest shit that you could find. Preferably in a red solo cup. Red solo cup. Yeah. In this place? Relax. Don't make it sound cheap. No, and we're going to edit that out. (laughs) No, we won't. (laughs) Yeah, no. No, we won't. Come on. Yeah, you know. I borrow that lighter? Oh, yes. Sorry. So, uh, after the plague reached us, um, Started a company called Get Real Meals, which was a healthy meal delivery service uh, that was based on the recipes uh, that I personally lost 70 pounds on. Um, I uh, was kind of in a weird place. So I was like, look, I've got this onslaught of really flavorful foods that helped me lose weight. Uh, Why not share that with people? And it was going okay for a while, uh, but still not really where I wanted it to be. I think it was a combination of I was not... While the restaurant business and the meal plan business are very different business models. Oh, yeah. And so it, it just didn't take off in the way that I thought it would. And so now I'm in the uh, your, one of your favorite spaces, the virtual kitchen game. Oh, man. Love them. <laughs> Love them. Uh, Is there like virtual dance halls, too, in the middle? Uh, no, no virtual oh. dance halls. What a shame. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's an opportunity to... The restaurant industry particularly when it comes to fast casual fast food is going through a massive transformation. Can you see my text? No, I said, can I get another two? Sorry. Thanks. We're talking about virtual kitchens. I need all the alcohol I can get. <laughs> Sorry. So, so we're, we're going through this really big transformation. And I think one part that a lot of people are misdiagnosing is why they can't find people. And there's this kind of conception that, People are sitting at home and they're lazy and the data is just proving all those people wrong. I don't, I don't believe that factor, but yeah, I'm with you. I get it. Um, and so we have to look at what comes next, what's right for what segment. I think places like this will always have a place because we're always going to want that gathering place and that place to have a drink and to have that great food. But there's a lot of aspects that I don't think our traditional models are going to carry forward in the future. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that starts to play out and what what areas shift and what areas kind of thrive. Oh, man. Such a heavy intro, man. <laughs> can we can we just can we go? I'm going to want, I want to start soft first and then we'll go into the harder stuff. OK, so the the, the meal plan. Are you still doing that or no? So we just paused. I, I, the only reason I ask is because me personally, since I went through my large like life change or whatever and increasingly in the last 12 months which is shocking but in the last 12 months i've become exponentially busier and 
I personally have been looking like for a meal plan thing and I'm like, I don't really know what any of this is and right. I don't know how to choose it. It all seems like very complicated. I'm like, I just need like two meals a day, guys. Like, give me things that are like substantial and delicious and healthy, but everything is like, and then when you go to the websites, they're all bright and it's like, ah, hello fresh. Like what? Now I got to cook for myself. I'm confused. So right. I'm just wondering when you did that, how, what was the direction you took with it? And can I buy food from you? That's all I'm asking. So unfortunately you cannot buy food from us. That's a right fucking now. shame. Um, that might change in the near future, but our model was actually very different. So, and when I talk to people about this, they love the idea. And then for some reason, we couldn't get them to transact online. So we did not tell you what to have for lunch or dinner or what day to eat what. Okay. And uh, so basically ours was more of a family style. And recently we did a two-person and four-person size portions. Oh, it's like, um, um, what's the Cuban thing? When a you cantina. Eat? Cantina, exactly. It was exactly that, uh-huh. right? Healthier versions of cantina food. That's amazing. You get, you get a one pound tray of uh, chicken breast or chicken roba vieja or oh, man, our right uh, maduro broccoli, which we would toss the broccoli in uh, plantain puree. And we'd roast off little bits of, of plantains in them. What? I want that. It, it, dude, the food was great. The food was absolutely great. People that were using the service used it religiously. They loved it. Uh, we just couldn't get enough of them. Um, and I hope to kind of be able to reset and bring it back. Because I'll be your first customer when you come back. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it. And we even started venturing into a lot of plant-based foods. Uh, we had a vegan chorizo that was phenomenal. It was made by, um, we used tempeh from Bee Culture. Yeah. And it was just such a great product. Um, so we were able to really offer a wide variety without restricting you and telling you you need to be on a diet and all of this stuff that like I tell people all the time I lost 70 pounds not once did my body enter ketosis like yeah I have like pizza burgers and tacos that's my trinity every single week like that's <laughs> God bless you man I, I won't give those up I have pizza on every Friday with my kids whether we make it or order it like we have to have pizza on Fridays where um, do you order pizza from Sorry, it's totally off. That's a very mixed bag. I know, like, right? I have no standards when it comes to pizza. Me neither. I I knew I liked you. It, it's I can enjoy a frozen pizza as much as Same. I can enjoy Mr. One. Like Same. Pizza's pizza. It's all fucking great. I, yeah, there's better pizza. Yeah. And then there's like just pizza. And then there's like shitty pizza. But I still love it. And it's still it's shitty. I know it's shitty pizza. But it's still pizza. And it's still good. Yeah. Right. That's I why mean, so many people do. Pizza Hut stuff crust. Like, you can't deny its greatness. I know, but I have a problem when they start being like macaroni and cheese stuff crust. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, now we're just absolutely just crushing any kind of standards we have. <laughs> like, we're absolutely saying, like, we're just going to fucking stuff this crust with absolutely anything. Or we're just like, fuck it. We're just going to do it. So, well, I mean, that kind of comes from the age of the style of marketing that, that companies feel they need to do. And it's like, let's go. Time out. I I'm going to turn on the fans because we're both, that all would three be of us are bigger marvelous. guys. I'm sweating. The doll's getting worked up. He's sweating. I'm always sweating if it makes you feel any better, oh. by the way. Miami in the pre-summer summer. It is what it is, man. Oh, that's better. Come on. That's good. It could, be, it could be way worse. It could be worse. We could be in California or New York. I mean, we could be anywhere else. Anywhere. Right. Really. Other than here. But, so where were we? Pizza. Yeah, pizza yeah. is, pizza, I mean... And then, ta- where do you have tacos from? Man, also mixed. 
Um, I love like shitty tacos and I love great tacos. Like I have the middle ground tacos, the ones that are like masquerading of like we have a great taco, but it's all trash. I have a problem with that, but it's like I love Taco Rico and I, I love Tequiza and I love like nicer taco plate. I, you know, so I'm not a big fan of Taco Rico. I just grew up with it. Right, so like the I only, get that, I guess. I, I mean, like the Taco Rico on US One and like whatever fifty seven. Mm-hmm. I just grew up on it, so I Got just it. like I. For me, it's the same way it's tasted since I was like ten, so I don't know any different. Interesting, and I just so I'm okay with it. There's like a the, place down in Kendall called El Rancho Grande, I love and they name. they just so that place is so busy. They got another place in the shopping center. They're like, we're just gonna go do takeout and delivery from here. Love that. And we're gonna call it Mexi Go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like nobody's gonna sit down in this place. It's that fucking good. Good. I mean, place is phenomenal. Yeah. Road so trip. That's our, like go. That's our go to. I live out in the Everglades. Like this is a, a pilgrimage for me. Welcome. Um, I'm, like, I'm in lakes of the meadow, so I'm oh, like man. deep out a, there. Spent a lot of time in those man-made lakes fishing for fish that didn't exist. I, I'm actually right now uh, building a floating dock in my in my in our lake back there for the man-made lake. Uh, for the man-made lake, yeah. But I am determined to like put a trolling motor out there and do, do like it. barbecues in the middle of the lake. And That's cool. Invi- I'm ready. I'm coming. It's. Um, I just invited myself. You're definitely welcome over, man. All right. So it was, it was pizza. Oh, burgers. Okay. Yeah, burgers. I mean, I I don't think I need to say where I usually get my burgers from. Uh, I know. I'm Come a little on. biased. I know somewhere just else. Just a little. Yeah, somewhere else. Um. But Bincho is still my go-to. Actually, believe it or not, actually, I haven't had a burger at Bincho in a while. Here's why. The fucking chicken sandwich is ridiculous. You heard it here first, and we're not cross-promoting at all. And I did not create that sandwich. It came after me. This is not me tooting my own horn. I mean, fucking A, that sandwich is Toot your own horn, bro. It's fine. No, but I'm really not. I'm happy to toot my own horn, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more than happy. Like, I've worked my tail off to do some decent shit in my life. Uh, But this one is actually, like, man, the team today, Adrian, Otto, all of them, like, this fucking sandwich is ridiculous. Okay. And so that's why I haven't had a burger at Pinchot Second burger. Another burger. Another burger. I haven't had it in a while, but I actually love Danny's burger at Blue Collar. Oh, that yeah? it's good. I've actually never had Danny's bur- burger at Blue Collar. Very, very great burger. It's weird, and Danny hates it, but I really love their, like, veggie platters. Like, it's, so do so I. You, you can have, like, five different veggies, and it's all delicious, and it's, like, I don't know, 20 bucks or whatever, and yeah. it's very good. That's all that butter. It's why it's so great. I know. <laughs> but it's, it masquerades as healthy veggie platter. Right. Right. So... I would just say, whenever you're not in the Everglades, if you want to try the Chug Burger here at Ariette, give it a go. She's pretty good. I, I will co- definitely. I co-signed that burger 150%. I heard it's great. That's what I, I hear, heard too. it's great. I just don't make it out to this part of town as, as frequently as I would like. And even though I have been coming here more frequently, I still feel like I don't know anything about the Grove. The Grove, it's a, it's a weird place. I love it here. It's great. It's just, you know, there's a lot of, like, shit happening and there's a lot of shit that's not good and then there's stuff that's good okay you know? what do you feel uh, that's not good about happening right now so i mean there's things that the food sucks okay you know and that's then never a good thing no and then there's things that you know are opening and i'm still waiting to see if they're going to be good um but overall i do see like the evolution of this part of miami being very good and i i find that i think that the next decade here is going to be very good I feel like they did a very good job 
molding a neighborhood to what the neighborhood needed as opposed to trying to change the neighborhood, which some people have. Like, obviously, Wynwood, the design district, they changed neighborhoods. Right. They should change all of South Beach. <laughs> they haven't tried yet, but they should. You know, like, things like that happen. Here, you just need to add stuff to the community that people will go to. Because I think if the food's good and it's a, a cool thing, people will go. Right. You know? Um, and I think they did a pretty good job of that. I'm not just saying that because I'm here. Because if they sucked, I would say it. But so, all right. So we did the softer thing, the meal planning. Losing 70 pounds is amazing. Congratulations. I've gained a bit of it back in COVID, but yeah. I'm uh, trying to get back on track now. I got to uh, say that COVID, I think mentally, for people that, you know, like having a routine is a big part of health. It, I mean, it. It disrupted all that. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's why I made it a point to make sure that I trained every day. Because for me, mentally, it's like the most important thing. If I didn't train at least four days a week, I would be so grumpy. I would be shit to work with. I would be so difficult. It's kind of. I'm sure my, my wife would agree with you that I've been pretty for sure. shit to be around ever she since. She definitely I would. She definitely would. Um, but when I do train four days a week, and I train, you know, like I'm I'm better. I feel better. I work better. I am a better human to be around. It's just, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I'm sure there's some kind of like scientific reason behind that. I can't tell you. I just know that's my personal experience. Oh, it's your energy levels. I mean, sure. it, it, it gives you, there's so much benefits to the body of being in that routine. Uh, and that's part of why I'm trying to do all this, like to get me back out on my boat. Cause that was probably one of the most therapeutic parts of it for me where, yeah, it was exercise, but it was also kind of a mental break. Particularly, it was my key when my kids started fighting. Get out on that boat, and so far, no noise, and I'm exercising. It's fucking amazing. That's good. I like that. That's good. So let's talk about the hard stuff. Um, <laughs> it's so, actually not that hard if you really think about it. I mean, it, it's it's not hard. And and I'll tell you. So the the disagreement or the different way of looking at things is that you are opening a virtual food hall. Right. Okay. Put that in context to me so I understand what that means. So deliveries have been a part of our consumption for several years now. Sure. For many years, actually. In some cases, for as long as we've known, right? You used to have to call places. Uh, now you order it online. And now you've got Uber Eats taking a third of your check. Uh, there's so many ways yep. that deliveries have been a part of our existence. We call them the evil empire. On right. It. The evil on. empire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's just been a part of the business for a long time and so one kind of pain point or struggle that that we've all experienced at one point or another in our lives you have different whether it's dietary restrictions um like your home where you've got somebody who eats meat somebody who doesn't right, right? and um others where like mine where there are some nights that i don't know what my kids are gonna agree to eat whether it's going to be just a French fry and chicken nuggets, or are they actually going to have the vegetables and protein that I, that I made for them? Sure. So that kind of mixed dynamic, or you're having a gathering and having some friends over, um, and you want to order different things. And you've got to strategically try to order all of these different things to arrive at a certain point. Sure. And so we thought, why not have them all under one streamlined operation, and you'd be able to get all of these concepts on one delivery. So whatever cuisine you're feeling like, whether it's Korean or burgers or tacos or dessert, and it can all come in one bag. 
right? And done correctly, utilize local concepts, help them expand and grow without having to invest another half a million to a million dollars in another location and still be able to trust that the people behind it are going to respect your product, have been founders before, have done what been in your shoes and respect that this is your process and not me trying to impose on you what I feel your product should be. Sure. Okay. And so that's the general gist of it. Okay. I have a couple questions. Sure. Who delivers? So we've been talking about doing it in-house. Okay. Um, okay. This is good. All right. That's good. Don't even continue. But <laughs> where is it located? Uh, here in Coconut Grove. Oh, I like that. That's good. Um, who owns the property? A landlord. <laughs> okay. That's good. So are you running the platform completely? Yes. See, but, it is th- but this is completely different than the things I have issues with. I agree. And right. I, I kind of know some of the things you have issues right. so with. I just, and we're probably going to agree on more than you think today. And I, I, th- <laughs> I think that that's great. I'm going to tell you the things that I have like visceral disagreements with. Okay. Right? I hate lies. Right. And when I say lies, I mean a big company comes from nowhere, out of nowhere, and says, hey, we have this great thing, and we're going to help you live out your dream. Your dream is to open a restaurant. We have this great ghost kitchen, right? And we're just going to take a third of your check, right? Okay. But you, you can you can plot up here and you can do the things and whatever. And then we're going to tout it as like we're very much about the community. This is all Reef Technologies. So okay. like, so we're going to tout it like we're all about the community. We're going to give out $20,000 grants, which to landowners ain't dick. Twenty grand is not anything. And I'm sorry that in the grander schemes of large restaurants, twenty grand is not a lot of money either. You know, and I know, twenty grand goes right. in the drop of a bucket. I, I know that better than anybody. <laughs> so, those are things I have issues with. Apart from that, the delivery platform por- portion. So let's say they, they get some uh, younger chef or restaurant or whatever to buy into this thing, and then uh, then all of a sudden they're giving Reef Technologies or whoever owns that thing a third of their check, and then now they got to pay out to Uber Eats too. Right. So let's say Uber Eats says, yeah, we'll deliver the stuff for you, and then we're going to deliver it. But my drivers aren't going to know shit about your product. My drivers aren't going to give a fuck about your product. My drivers are probably going to eat some of the product that's in the bag. That happens. Those, that happens often. Yeah. And uh, now I know now there's plenty of ways to seal bags. There's also staples, which are nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> staples have worked. Have worked. Really great. They work. But I, I love the little sealable bags. The I sealable think they're, bags, they're great. Right? But we're going to pay extra for that bag that we... At, at that point, need to charge the guest for, which they don't know, but we have to make sure we do that. Absolutely. And then on top of that, if you're a standalone brick-and-mortar restaurant, right, a lot of times to, like, the way I would think is, okay, so if my thing is 10 bucks, I'm going to charge 13 for this thing to equate the 30% loss. Right. But at that point, the perception on the market is that you're expensive for whatever that product may be. That's correct. So the chain of events is very weird. I believe that places like Reef Technologies, I'm going to speak about them because I've just been speaking about them a lot in the last four days, is the Trojan horse of all restaurants, right? I do think that, I mean, your concept is very cool. I don't see it as the same thing, and people maybe could say I'm hypocritical just because we're sitting in front of each other, but I don't see it as the same thing. I don't see it as the same thing either, and that, uh, because, was, that was really the point of it because I saw some of what you see in a lot of the virtual space, 
Um, and I mean, inauthenticity drives me pretty crazy. I love this one. When, I'm, when I'm, you talk oh. about like, you know, the guy from Jersey shore and the subs, I, I don't know if you've seen that. Ike shot him. Uh, I, I don't know which it's one, one of the Jersey shore characters has now a virtual kitchen. Oh no, he does. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you can, you Snooki? can subscribe to like you, you as a restaurant owner can have his concept being cooked out of your kitchen and delivered on Uber Eats. Fuck that. Exactly my point. Who wants that? I apparently Mario Lopez has a tar, has a torta concept. Mariah Carey has a cookies concept. Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell. Yeah. That Why Mario the fuck Lopez. does anyone give a fuck about Mario Lopez to begin with? <laughs> I'm so confused. Why does like the 20 people that watch E? Doesn't uh, Wiz Khalifa, I think, also has... Wiz, so, same company also does the... No, Tiger's Chicken Bites is the one I think you're thinking about. Uh, listen, it's Tigger. It's Tigger. Is it no. Tigger? Tigger. That's no. how you say it. It's Tigger. I would I, I, I don't want his Chicken Bites either. But, yeah. So, same company does all of those concepts, by the way. Um, it's fucking and ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I, I looked at it, and I know there's kind of two schools of thought on virtual kitchens they're either going to be the next trillion dollar industry or they're trash and they're going to be gone tomorrow i have a much more simplistic view those that have a good product and provide a good service are going to do great and those that don't won't and it's it's relatively simple unless you happen to have a bad product and happen to be wildly convenient right i think that's the only the the only uh, kind of notch where you don't have to have a great product if you're extremely convenient the trojan horse here is that a place like the the collaboration between Reef Technologies and Uber Eats or right. Grubhub or Postmates or however they decide to work. I, I agree together. it makes it really difficult because now you have two people that own your customer and it's not still not you. Yeah. You don't own the data. And that's that's always been my kind of query. And I was a pretty early adapter to Uber Eats. I mean, when yeah. we were one of the early sign, uh, sign-ons here in Miami and... You know, we fell for the whole spiel of, well, your dining business is going to stay the same, et cetera. It's all right, going to be. But your labor is going to go up and, yeah. Right. And then you're and, not making the same amount of money. I was horribly wrong. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was right for about six weeks. That all was, right. that was how long the, the numbers that they laid out actually made sense for us. And it was all downhill from there. Yeah. I think also in the restaurant industry, I believe because food funnels itself a certain way because you have such, like so much dry product as into fresh product, it takes time to see the numbers trickle downwards or upwards. Right. It takes a little bit of time to see that in both your labor. I mean, labor is a little more immediate, but like your food costs, for instance, it like it takes sees a little bit of time to, for it to incrementally go up or right. incrementally go down. So at least a couple of inventory I usually cycles. Say, I, yeah, I usually say six to 12 weeks is a good barometer to see what status a kitchen really is in. Right. So... My, and, like, I, I hate the, the dressing yourself up as something that you're not. Like, Reef Technologies owns land. They are real estate people. That's right. all they give a fuck about. What they're doing is they're selling themselves to large investors and saying, hey, we want to buy property all over the country, and we're going to sell it as this devil in a white dress. And then they're going to other people, and they're saying, hey, we think you're great. We really want to push you. We know you're struggling to open a restaurant, and it's so hard, and it's so expensive, and we know it's so hard. Let us do this for you. And then you end up in this fucking cold-ass, almost like situation of a warehouse cooking food, and you're putting your what could be, for some people, their first interpretation of their food and their passion into a box. Right. 
And then you lose all soul of everything, right? I'm like a hopeless romantic when it comes to food. <laughs> I, I am. see that. This <laughs> incredibly, like, I'm about dining. I'm incredibly romantic about it. I think that there's beauty in it. And I think at the same time, if we continue to let these people chip away at it, it will die. There will always be spaces in the world for what, like, we do here. But if we continue to chip away at the at the thing and we start to create a machine, it's going to go away. And You think so, though? I mean, I well, here's the thing. I, I said it post-pandemic that there's a good chance that higher-end dining may do better. Middle-of-the-road dining may try to find its footing a little bit. And I think that that is kind of happening, right? I feel like people wanted an experience post-COVID. Right. We're still in COVID, but post-COVID, right? Uh, and I feel like I, I see that daily. I, I feel I feel it from them that they wanted to get out. They wanted to do the things that they pined to do forever when we were like, you know. Human just, beings are not meant to live in isolation. We're not built I mean, for that shit. I, I get it. I understand it. I'm just saying I feel like if we continue to push in that direction, we continue to let people manipulate our brains to believe a certain thing, it will happen. It's all about like, you know, that just water drip, right? It's like if you keep on doing it, it's going to fucking it, – it'll have its effect long term. And all we're doing is allowing these people to create more value on their property. And they're the, really the ones making money because if right. you don't own the dirt, you're in trouble. And especially in that concept, I don't know personally, but I would dare to say it's probably year-to-year leases in those spaces. I don't, I don't know what their – Contracts are like, particularly when it comes to the restaurants, or I, I've, I've seen vaguely. I know food halls, for instance, are year to year. Right. And a, a lot of their, conceptually, their stuff is kind of like a food hall without people actually entering the property. Right. So. But, and you also don't have the ability to mix and match any of those concepts. You're ordering from the individual platforms. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting part for me, I don't think anybody in their first I don't think anybody's first venture into the restaurant world should be with Reef. I agree. But I think if you've got one location, right, and you've got this kind of mom and pop operation, you'd like to do something, expand a little bit, add an extra stream of income without and don't have the resources to raise money or do et cetera. I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. And but are, are, are you OK with them taking 50 percent of your nut? I mean, think about it. Uber Eats takes a piece. And then Reef takes a piece. That's 50% of the nut right there. So right, you're left you're, with what? But you're also not the operator, right? So it is a it is a licensing or a franchising deal. Yeah. So you have to be kind of comfortable with that world as it is before you even have that conversation. If you're yeah. anti-franchising, they're not the person to talk to. Sure. Right? Uh, but you also don't have to have all the legalities and all of the headaches of franchising, which I know very well. Yeah. And I would advise anybody not to fucking do it. <laughs> um, I learned it the hard way. Um, but, you know, there are some people that I would actually recommend, like, hey, you should probably look at Reef. And the way I look at it from a diner's perspective, the times I'm going to order delivery and the times are that I'm going to go out and have dinner never compete with each other because if I want to go out, I'm not even considering delivery and the times I need delivery, I cannot consider going out. I, you said something earlier. I don't remember the exact words you used, but it's the, it's like the, the fake. So if you look through like an Uber Eats, right? Cause I'll do this sometimes when I've 
smoked a little too much. Oh, and I'll you just, see those concepts that are like, yeah, what the fuck is yeah, that? Yeah, it's just like, it's like Annette's pretzels and, and things. Right. It's uh, Jimmy's wings and uh, burgers. And it's oh, just like. There's like a thousand wing concepts on Uber Eats right of now. Of course. Right, which actually, if they were to think about it, wings are expensive. I don't know why they're doubling down on the wing, but there's other things you could double down on. You go through it, I would dare to say 50% of them aren't actual concepts at all. They're just offshoots of an offshoot of a thing. Have you ever tried to look up their like Instagram or website? Yeah, never. See, I'm a I sick I don't fucking go, bastard. I, I do don't, that shit. I don't go that deep. It's That's a lot of effort. I, I, I go through much more effort in life than I need to. <laughs> I got, um, <laughs> I got it. I got it. It's a really bad habit of mine. Uh, I, I actually, so back during the beginning of the plague, um, I had obviously, like everybody, way too much time on my hands and heavy into every type of political topic you can think of. Oh, boy. And obviously. I'll leave now. You and Nick can talk. <laughs> minimum wage, big topic around the country, particularly here in Florida, which we just passed uh, last year. We did. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, prices are going to skyrocket and do all of this. So I decided to go on Instacart, Uber Eats, and Postmates and compare a neighborhood in Seattle that was similar in demographics to mine. Oh, man. This is and look study. up pricing. It was, it was actually really fascinating. Started at the supermarket because that's what every, oh, milk is going to cost $15. Milk was cheaper than my milk in my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Many of the restaurants, very similarly priced. You know where the biggest increases I saw? Fast food. A oh. Big Mac was 25% more expensive. In Seattle? In Seattle than in Miami. That makes sense. Whereas the rest of the products were somewhere between equal, plus minus 5%, 10%, not really crazy, and then sometimes cheaper. Chuck Roast, which I braise really often at home, was cheaper. It's like a dollar fifty a pound cheaper, and so I was kind of like, "Well, there goes that fucking myth." Right. <laughs> I mean, if if the if the sacrificial lamb of higher minimum wage is McDonald's, I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah, I'm cool with that too. Perfectly okay. Yeah, I'm cool with it. So that was my kind of two cents on why I just I put more effort than I need to, but I'm just I'm always hungry for knowledge, and I I, uh, I prefer I, data and facts over semantics. So well, I mean. Those those concepts conceptually like McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, like they build their food to just kind of be like poop and scoop, warm up, microwave, whatever. Like you right. don't need to be. So they they definitely prey on lower lower wage. Right. So when when you do get the wage like a very when that increase goes up, it makes sense that they all their all their prices would go up. Right. I mean, to me, it only makes sense. I don't really see that. When that all happened, like, I didn't think it would affect the rest of the world that much. But it would affect these people that do. I mean, I don't know. Supermarkets kind of kind of surprised me a little bit because they do have, like, the lower end, you know, younger kids working as bag boys or whatever, stock clerks that's just starting. I mean, I was stock clerk when I was, like, 16. Right. I, mean, I grew up in the grocery store business, so I've yeah. been in that business since I was a literal child. Yeah. I, you know, I worked for fucking like three seventy five an hour when I was a bag boy. So, like, I kind of remember that. Yeah. I can only imagine if I was a bag boy making 15 bucks an hour that I would, things would change. Right. 
But there's also, I mean, we're in the most productive part of society in history. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, look, the technology is taking your job because you want $15. Like, man, the technology has been coming for jobs since the, the, since the beginning of time. Um, and so many people have lost their jobs to technology. More people have lost their jobs to technology than the immigrants and then any of the other reasons that people like to list off. Um, yeah. Robots have been taking jobs for years. Coal miners, more coal miners have lost their jobs to robots than they have to any green initiative. And that doesn't get talked about enough. But it was really the automation that truly killed that industry or has massively disrupted it. Man, I love this shit. <laughs> God, that's good. <laughs> Fuck, man. So robots have been coming for a long time. And you're going to see a lot more self-service kiosks everywhere you go. Not because of $15 minimum wage, but because they've become so cheap. Yeah. Square now has an interface. Some genius said, let me write a code that just takes that little cheap square tablet and then turns it into a user-friendly kiosk environment. You know what reminds me of that so much? And this is a terrible uh, comparison, but do you remember when you would go to, like, a mall, any mall? I'm going to say Mall of the Americas, which is okay. the most rundown mall. But then they had the self-service yogurt things. Yes. There's only one person working in the whole place. They give you a little cup. You go... Give yourself some yogurt. Then you go to the thing and they add the toppings for well, you. Well, that turned out to be a whole fad boom just a few right, years ago. Right, but it makes complete sense. It, it's, it makes complete sense. You, you eliminated the labor portion of it. You only had one laborer. And that is what automation did for an industry. Now, obviously, that fad didn't last very long because not that many people want frozen yogurt. But right. I'm just saying, like, that was an early representation of what the long-term effect would be. Right. And it's just like the same thing as, you know, uh, in fast food places when you go to, like, these new fancy Coke machines. Yeah. And you could, like, mix and match all the things. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, all... It's just so automated. I'm not much of a soda drinker, but I love that shit. I don't like... I hate soda, actually, but I'm fascinated by it. I want to (laughs) just fuck with the machine and just touch all the buttons and see what's happening. That's usually... But stuff like that is... Uh, just a quick representation of how automation and robots are taking people's jobs. Right. Really. So, man. And it's only going to get worse from here. Oh, this is I only mean, the beginning, man. It but really it, it really is only the beginning. We are yet to have the first self-driving truck on the road, right? So what happens to those three million folks who are out on those roads? What happens to the truck stops that feed them and do all of that stuff, right? It's a There's a big domino coming and unfortunately our elected officials refuse to look at any of that oh man i love it he wants to get all jacked up and i love <laughs> that shit man this is good i want to talk uh, let, we need to rewind here people don't yeah. know who you are we need to talk about like where you came from the whole thing i know that we talked a little bit about um a little bit about you on um the previous episode emma i'll take another Nick? You know, I think I'm going to go for wine now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Sauvignon yeah. Blanc, please. Any white. Perfect. A little vine? A little vine action. Is this the first Pancom podcast? This is the first Pancom podcast wine. Yeah, this is the first. Really? Pan- yeah. Holy shit. Usually people, are, usually people are pounding. Jameson's like, I need to get through this somehow. <laughs> Simon, the fuck do I get out of here? Simon <laughs> Kim really threw us for a loop with that martini. Yeah, he's like, let me get a martini. No, I think Simon... Mm-hmm. Larry Carino was Martinez too. Oh, Larry was Martinez. He's a sophisticated fellow, that Larry. That was probably one of my favorite episodes. That Larry, was, that was awesome. 
Yeah, Larry. I love Larry. I love Larry. Everybody too. loves Larry. I, I don't anybody. Not who everybody loves Larry. Well, anybody who doesn't love... like Larry, I'm not, probably not a fan of them. So. I know. I, I agree. <laughs> if you don't like Larry, automatically it's like, oh, Larry's your representation. I'm like, you got a problem with that? <laughs> like, I, I don't know that we. This conversation should continue. Yeah. yeah. Do my feathers look ruffled? <laughs> <laughs> I heard that I did um, an impersonation of Jose Mendina on the show. Did I do that? You did. Did I? I don't remember yeah, that was, at all. There was a lot of this. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now I remember. You gotta come to Puerto Rico. Yes. <laughs> well, we were having dinner the other day. He's like, "Hey, hey, bro, I, hey, I heard you did uh, an impersonation of me," and I was like, "I don't remember that at all. Like, I have no." And he keeps on like drilling me to do it, and I'm like, "I don't remember what I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was drinking. My bad." He was very upset. He mentioned it the whole night. I was like, just let it go. I don't remember. That is fucking hilarious. Can we talk but, about, you sure. know, how, how you got here? Well, I'm, I'm actually here I'm, this, I'm really happy matter, that, but, uh, that Otto came on before me and he did all the 627 story and yeah, the six, 4th of July great. barbecue. I, lo- I love the 627. That's great. It, it is. It's an awesome story, but I'm just glad that he got to tell it and I, I didn't have to. He, he tells it far better than I do. Um, I usually just kind of skip through it after you've told it for 7,000 times. I believe it. Um, And so, yeah, uh, how I got here. A long, weird childhood, where, things. I grew up in Hialeah. Bless you. Um, I grew up in Hialeah in my father's grocery stores. And um, Otto always always made this joke about me that I was an entrepreneur since I was a fetus. And he's not that far off. Uh, so my father actually immigrated here with a seventh grade education and built himself up by the bootstraps. He's a absolute inspiration. And when I was in the ninth grade, he bought his first, thank you. You're he bought best. his first uh, commercial property. It had 16 tenants, uh, small, uh, off of Northwest 7th Street and 45th Avenue. And he comes home, he's got all these leases, puts them on the dining room table, puts up pink highlighter on top and he's like i need you to read through all this highlight the most important points and translate them to me in arabic oh wow um so by the time i graduated high school i actually helped him run uh and manage three shopping centers uh i was the leasing agent for him uh did all of that stuff and then when i was 19 attempted a ground up development uh, this property he's got on 35th Avenue and Northwest 103rd Street, where the zoning was for residential and we wanted to do kind of a, uh, a shopping center style thing. And then, of course, when the commissioners get involved, it's like, well, in 2055, there's not going to be enough housing. And in 2075, there's not going to be enough business. So we settle on a mixed use. And they still didn't pass that. So was not able to get through my first ground up development at the age of 19 but it was a hell of an experience i was i was managing the architect i was managing the attorneys i'm a fucking kid like yeah. literally a child doing this yeah. uh but i learned so much from him um and it helped me a lot in my career our our real estate rates at bincho are some of the lowest yeah. uh so we've always managed to really sniff out good deals and 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 maintain a pretty low cost of occupancy i hate to cut you off but that's such a key point because I think younger restaurateurs, chefs, restaurateurs, whatever, they don't understand the value of a lease and how important that lease really is to the long-term 
viability of your concept. Absolutely. I mean, it is pivotal that it and it and it could happen years before the thing even starts construction. Right. Like how important that lease really is. So talking about proper lease term, like some of the best value to actual property and actual square footage that you have, the deal you work out with the landlord, it's all so fucking important, man. Also important. Sorry. Absolutely. And and it's so hard to find landlords that also empathize with you at all. They don't empathize. Uh, and, you know, one of the biggest disagreements I always have with landlords regarding leasehold improvements. Like, man, I can't take any of this stuff with me. A fucking men. Like, what, I, like, what the fuck am I going to do if I put in the grease trap? I'm going to dig it up afterwards and, like, carry it on my shoulders? Like, I, I, I was talking to a landlord recently and we were just talking about windows i was like you know these windows need to be updated and they're like well yeah you guys can update the windows i go i'll tell you this if i update the windows myself i will take the window with me when i'm done well what are you gonna do with the window it doesn't fucking matter because it belongs to me shatter it if i want to it belongs the window (laughs) belongs to me so if i update the window myself i will take the window believe me when i say it I will pay the money to take the windows with me if I update them. So, we should update the... You guys should update the windows. <laughs> if you don't want to update the windows, you let me know. If not, I'm taking them with me. It, it's... I think a lot, so many people underestimate how hard it is to be in our industry. Because literally nobody gives a fuck. Nah, right? Nah. Once you sign we, that we dotted line... We have no line, fucking empathy. and No, not just when you sign it, like... From the landlord to your equipment providers to your, even sometimes your guests, unfortunately. It's like, yeah. nobody gives a fuck. Shut up, work harder. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's what like, do you mean man. you don't have the chicken? I want the chicken. I'm like, uh, we don't have any chicken today. And I'm just like, that's, it, it's, that's a simple representation of like, people don't understand how there's so many reasons and so many levels to why things happen. People will never think that deep. But it's our job to think of all I, – I really feel like my job is to think of all the things that can go wrong and try to make sure that less things go wrong. I feel like that's where I'm at. It's like make sure less things go wrong right. things are going to go wrong. That's all you, you can hope for. I had this saying at Beanshaw that I said over and over again. Um, I was like make new mistakes. Like, let's just not repeat them. Oh, that's let's a good just, one. Let's I just like make that. some like new ones. That. I'm going to use that. I'm stealing Please, that. 100%. Steal it. Please do. Yeah. Uh, because it is a great motivator for people where it's like, man, I'm, I understand that you're going to make mistakes because expecting perfection is never going to happen. Uh, I've made that mistake early on in my career. You always, When you first get into this industry, you've got this massive ego and you think you're the shit. And then after a while, you realize, wow, I'm really not shit. Um, you think it's an ego thing? Definitely. I, I think it's a standards thing. I think you can have high standards without being an asshole no i agree right. no yeah. i was an asshole early on in my career that's what i'm saying it's criticism of myself people still call me an asshole uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, they're probably listening thank you guys hey, i appreciate it i'm sure plenty have called me one as well that's and, patreon.com and that's <laughs> hashtag mike's an asshole yeah that's a good one it it happens um but the reality is i mean you just You've got to let people make some mistakes, and you've got to encourage more. They've just got to be new. We've got to learn from those past ones and make some new ones. I, I think mistakes are a good learning tool. It's if you don't learn from your mistakes, then then you're an asshole. 
success only comes from making those mistakes Correct. and learning from them and failing and trying and retooling and trying again. Agreed. I mean, think about when you're writing a menu. You put something on there and you're like, ah, this didn't work so great. But if we took this and put it onto this plate, it actually might work well. Right. Right? And that's basically the sum of life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like we've just got to take this ingredient and move it over to this plate. Trial and error. That's all it is. Trial and error. All right. So 19, that didn't work. What's next? Uh, what's next? Continued in the uh, the grocery store business with him for many years. Um, Can you tell me about the grocery store business a little bit? I'm super intrigued. Uh, bodeguita, man, it's like I love little, that. I just want to know a little bit more about it. it. It was a it was a really cool upbringing. So I really had two lives that I lived as a kid. Like we grew up in Miami Lakes in this nice middle class home. Right. Uh, went to Miami Lakes Elementary, Miami Lakes Middle, and HML, but. On nights and weekends, I was in Hialeah, and I was getting picked on by these all these old Cuban guys. It was actually how I learned Spanish, uh, was yeah. to defend myself by being picked on. Yeah, defend oh, yeah, yourself. Like, you know, I'm being picked on by these old guys all the time, and that's how I learned Spanish. And I would actually read, at, at the time, the Miami Herald was an, uh, and Nuevo Herald was an insert in the Miami Herald. Uh, uh, it was only a full newspaper on Sundays. Mm. And so I would read the newspaper, and that was how I taught myself Spanish and to be able to defend myself. Um, Get in there. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Straight up. Fuck them. But they were also some of the sweetest men who taught me a lot of profound lessons. Um, it's so funny about old Hispanics, right? It's really it's, – yeah. it's insane. Um, and so it was, it was always really cool. It was a huge part of who I am today was that kind of mixture and, and understanding, uh, people of different backgrounds, people from different countries, people who fled communism. It's, it's always a really cool perspective to learn from older people. And in another part, so when I was in the sixth grade, my father decided, okay, you've got to learn better. I spoke good Arabic, but he wanted me to learn like more traditional stuff. Oh ships me over to the Middle East. Oh, boy. Right? And so when I get there, I'm dressed a little different, but I'm speaking Arabic, but people can kind of sense, like, you're not from yeah, around here. Up. So at that stage in my life, I'm literally being called a foreigner. I'm like, wait, I, I, I was being told I'm coming home. How tough. am I a foreigner? That's tough. Right? And so I've always had this kind of nomad feeling where I don't, like, actually belong anywhere. That's that immigrant feeling, yeah? It's like, you know, here, yeah, he's a Muslim, and he's Palestinian, and over there, it's like, oh, he's an American, he's a foreigner. It's like, bro, I, I, so our dialect, we, my, my, both my mother and father come from very small villages, and for some odd reason, we pronounce our K's as a C-H. Okay. And so I remember having an argument with a guy, I'm like, bro, I literally speak with the C-H just like you, like, what the hell are you calling me a foreigner for? Like, and so it, that was a really interesting time in my life, and then... As a senior in high school, when there was uh, a little war going on in the Middle East, my father was like, let's go again. Oh. And so my senior year in high school, I spent dodging tear gas and bullets and getting chased by tanks just wow. to go to school. Amazing. Man. Um, so wild kind of ride of a childhood. For sure. Uh, that was <laughs> a lot condensed in a little time, but it was crazy, man. I mean, that year that I spent there... I remember once they had blocked off a road for security reasons or whatever, and we had to, like... Time out. We have a, a visit from yeah, a former on. guest, Dave Arvello, everyone. Dave Arvello. We're going to clap it up. First round management himself. Podcast My neighbor. Alumni. Podcast alumni. You know what's happening here. Yeah, I do. How was your Chug Burger, sir? It was great. All right. It was great. 
All right. Love Dave, that. Nadal, Nadal Dave. Yeah. Pleasure to meet you, man. Yeah, Dave's my neighbor. Also cool. works for uh, First Round Management. He's here eating a chug burger. Things nice. happen at Arietta over here, huh? Big things happening. Yeah. That is great. Big things happening. That's Make sure they keep their write up. That's the. Uh, I, I, I won't name drop as to what restaurant it was, but the, the coach I was meeting with is one of the better MMA coaches in the world. He said he wanted to meet at a restaurant down the street. He wanted to re- meet at Green Street, and yeah. I didn't allow it. I knew that was going to happen. I was just like, man, let's just meet at Arietta. It's right down the street. Yeah. Great setting, great food. Fuck that. Like, let's just go there. And stuff. <laughs> so he was like, okay, brother, I've never been there. I'll try it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, Dave. I'll see you guys. All right, brother. Hey, man. Have a great one. Pleasure to meet you. I feel like that was like a um, a scene from like uh, Mr. Rogers when like the neighbor comes and visits and he just like drills like he dro- just like drops a line. He's like, thanks for being my neighbor. And then just leaves. Now I want to get like a little train track for whenever we record. <laughs> That's so good. Have like a little pig riding the train with a I crown know. on it. That's so good. Oh man, I'm sorry. Uh, he definitely no, it is quite all right. Yeah, I, I um, but like I, I said I feel at home with the shit show of this show. So we're I know, good. and it's so perfect. It's it's great. We can bounce around as much as we'd like. So, man, six, sixth grade. No, you went back in high school. Both in sixth grade and in high school. My senior year, didn't actually get to walk with my class. Oh yeah, yeah. That probably. Oh, you went to HML. I did. Oh yeah. What year? Oh two. Oh two. Oh two. So you're a year older than me. A year older. Okay, so after HML, what happened? HML, for the, so, for the people in Oregon, New Jersey, Salina, Kansas, and uh, anyone on the West Coast is Hialeah Miami Lakes. It is a high school called HML. One of the best high schools out there. So. Second best, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a far second, but it's, it's quite all right. It's all right. We'll agree to disagree there. Yeah. Um, Hey, we put out, uh, what's his name? Vincent, guy yeah, who played um, Kingpin in the Daredevil series. He did? Oh, oh, yeah. That's an HML alum, man. Oh, yeah? Yes. That was I, a good show. I can't show. pronounce his name to the life of me. But You're talking about the Netflix show? Yeah. That was a good show. That was a great show. It was a good show. I just finished, um, and we'll talk about this in part in recommendations, but um, I just finished the... Um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It was fucking fantastic. It was a good show. That was a really great good show. Good show. All right. I've been loving the Disney Plus shows. Disney Plus is... Disney does some things right. They do do some things right. Uh, some things. Well, I'll disagree with them on how they're pandering to China, but we'll leave that. Oh, man. Oh, let's so, do it. <laughs> I'm out of here. Nick's taking over the show. This is taking a whole different turn. Vincent Philip Donofrio. There you go. Or Donofrio. I don't know how you say the last name. I, d- I don't either, but he's an HML grad, and I love him. Donofrio. Such, and I such love a coincidence. Donofrio. Vicente. Vicentigo Donofrio. <laughs> that's, that's another guy who you could also just give him a... Hey, Vicente. Oh, man. Vicente such a coincidence. Donofrio. That was good. All right, so after HML, what happened? So after HML, went back, was still working with my dad... Um, and then got into the restaurant industry. My first stint in the restaurant industry was actually at a, a concept called Snapper's Fish and Chicken. They um, tried to open here in the Grove. Did they? They did, right? Like West Grove. Really? It was a, it was a, it's a tougher part of the Grove, but like, and I was actually, and it was cool. It was like a standalone space. They had their own parking or whatever. It only lasted six months. Wow. Yeah, I was, I, I was, I had some high hopes. Food's actually pretty good. So, I actually have a great story of my very first day there, very first day in the industry. Okay. 
So show up. They're training me on all this stuff. Give me the lay of the land. The what fish, station? The batters, what, what station? Uh, the hotline on, on the Friars. All right. Fry station. That's where you go. Yeah, I love that. So they're walking me through everything, how to bread everything. Everything's bred into order. Um, little known fact about them. That's, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Snappers, fish, and chicken. They so bred everything to order. I love that. They're showing me all the ropes. But for some odd reason, I, it's my first day, but I could my intuition was like, something's off about this. Changing the oil during the lunch rush on one of the Friars. During? Yes. That sounds chaotic, and I don't yeah. like it. Well. How many fryers do they have? Uh, that one was one of the busiest stores. They had about six or seven. Makes sense. How many fryers they, were they dropping? It was just one. Okay. It was just one. I, I can't remember the reason why. It all just looked very off to me. Very anxious situation for me. So, whatever. I'm like, what the fuck do I know? It's my first day, so I'm just going to shut up. And Drop the fryer. I'm, yeah. Got just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So I'm just starting to get the rhythm. This guy takes the pot of oil out to the parking lot, dump it in the, you know, the thing. The thing. And um, the oil tips over and spills into the parking lot. Oh, that's like the, oh, I have nightmares about moments like that. So everybody rushes out to help because the line is now coming around the building and we've got to keep this oil away from the tires of cars. Oh, man. This sounds dreadful. And new guy is on the line by himself. Oh, <laughs> it sounds so bad. I, fe- I feel for you so much. Like I mean, I still think about those people that were in line that day. What happened to their food? Were they okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're so definitely a restaurant guy for at, sure. At that stage, the cashier, she's dictating to me what to do when drop this get this out that's ready pull it out she's like my coach at this stage and i i have no idea how anybody's food turned out and i I still think about all those people all the time isn't that crazy that's just such a a restaurant person mentality like some (laughs) like a real restaurant tour like i those bad bad services we have i just think about like man was the guest okay are they fine (laughs) like are they okay like did they go home like what did they think about when they went home like it, it, it really, like, I'll wake up in the middle of the night thinking about a bad service so many more times. I, actually, just all the times more than, like, a good service. Really? Oh, yeah. I At a, a good service, we did our job. A bad service, how did I fail? Yeah. That's how I feel. And it, it's, a, it's a daunting thing, but that's how I operate in my brain. So you're... Later fir- on, after... I, don't, I think store six, I started to become immune a little bit to that. Right. Yeah, it would bother me, obviously, if we didn't do a good job. But I had so much keeping me up at night that I physically couldn't do that anymore. Right, right. Um, but it's it's a, it's an interesting way of looking at things where you really do obsess over that, like making people happy. and. I, I, it would be interesting, and I've never been in that situation, which is if you have several concepts of the same – how that would affect me, I, I don't know how it would affect me because our concepts all, are all very different. Right. So all their problems are very different. They all have solutions that people don't like to come up with, but they all have different problems. So I, I would be interested if we had like 10 chugs, right. like 10 areas, how those problems would feed my brain and like how... What would well, keep me up at night? The problems are still different. Every store is unique yeah, because yeah. every human is different, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's going to make different decisions that are going to drive you crazy or do something where it may have been very well-intentioned 
And sometimes you make decisions that at Don't the work. time are like, oh, man, Great. this is going to be a game changer. Right. And then and I have a perfect example of this. So we, um, over m- many years at Pincho, we've always had a ticket time problem. I've always been like a stickler. Like, I want things cooked to order, wanted things a certain way. Good for you, man. So That's good. That's not a problem. That's the way shit should be. It's kind of a problem because it, it, it did hurt us in sales in, in some aspects. Uh, particularly at, our, at the height of our growth in 2016 and 2017, you could not go to a bean show on a Friday or a Saturday and not wait an hour. Oh, and at a fast casual restaurant, that's just unacceptable. Right. Right. Um, and so we got these, We di- and we didn't want to shrink our burger. We thought that 5.33 ounces was the right amount oh, of that sounds solid. ratio. It was perfect. Third pound, that's what we wanted to do. So we went with the same weight, but slightly thinner. Mm-hmm. We tested it on our bun, stood out a little bit, but it was still good. But on the Tostone burger, it, for some odd reason, we didn't fucking test that. Mm. And it looked horrible. Mm-hmm. And then in the testing phase, things always go a little bit better in the testing than in practice for some fucking of reason. Of course they do. Because so, you're doing it. And we got brutalized. Mm. I mean, people are like, what is this fucking steak and shake shit? Oh, look, you're growing, and now your quality is dropping. I'm like, no, I swear. It's the same grind. It's the same everything. Like, I was really intentional about this, and it fucking backfired. It was it was horrible. Um, and so, you know, you just got to be able to recover from those. And thankfully, our burger suppliers were really responsive. We called them. We're like, hey, we fucked this up. Please help. And they had a batch of our previous size out to us i mean within days yeah. we were fully stocked do you think uh, this is an interesting conversation i have often do you think that i like for me i'm a i'm a prep heavy cook like i always prep heavy so that service is easier right um it's it's tougher to think that way because you have to think of all the things that are going to go wrong and the intricacies of humans and like how they prep things and how right. they wrap things and how they do things and all that stuff. Do you think that because I, I often ha- just the the equation of like suffering sales wise to efficiency or product um, how good the product ends up being that conversation, how many times did you have that with yourself? Because I have that conversation with myself all the time. Like, I, I want everything cooked to order. Right. Like, I don't ever, we don't, like, even for our whole chicken and our whole duck, or our duck is a little different, but our whole chicken, like, we roast that thing to order. And really? It, oh, yeah. It takes 32 minutes. It's time tested and solid. Interesting. If I've got to have that. If, it, if it's, if it's um, hung for 45 minutes, which is... Hanging, for the people that don't understand what that means, that means when you hang a protein so it reaches room temperature, so then when you cook it, it is not cold on the inside. <laughs> when you, If you hang it for 45 minutes, it will take 32 minutes to cook completely. So, but I, I like, I, I prep service for that. You know, obviously our dynamic here is different, but it's like, you know, you sell a chicken, it's like, okay, this chicken's going to take 40 minutes to cook. Right. The whole thing, because it takes 30 minutes to cook, 10 you minutes to rest. rest it. Yeah. The whole thing. I have that conversation often because you have the conversation with myself. I'm not crazy. 
I just have a conversation with myself. You have to have these conversations you do. with yourself. But it's like... Do you pace in the middle of the night about these conversations? I wake up in the middle of the <laughs> night all the time. But it's really just like, I want to sell more of them. Right. But at the same time, we can only produce... I think our max is like seven a night. Um, but if we sell more, obviously the check average is higher and you make more money or whatever. But even so, because of the state of the industry, certain like right now, I cap our books every night. We're only allowed to do X amount of covers every night because if we do any more, service and food will suffer. Right. So it's like a it's a trickle, man. It's like, it is. It's a, it's a huge trickle. Like the more time that a product takes, the more time a server needs to be at a, at at a table, and you know it's like this huge. It's this internal struggle because obviously. As a business owner, you want to make more money, but you want to put out the best product because it represents who you are. Right. So it's a tough dynamic to be in. It is. And ultimately, it comes down to what are your goals, right? What, what, and, and who are you answering to, right? How many investors do you have? What do they want to see? What are they expecting? Uh, what type of lifestyle do you want to live? So there's, what I love about this industry is there really are no fucking rules. None. Oh, yeah. No, I there love that. There are no you, rules. Yeah, I know. You make the rules. And and you've just got to find the right mixture of people who are comfortable with your brand of crazy, and you run with that. I've been very lucky, and every because we're all crazy in this industry. There is no sane human being who wakes up and says, "I want to be in the food industry." Like no rational human being does that. <laughs> like yeah. you have to be completely irrational to be in this business, and so you can. Both of those things are right. Like whether you're a sweet green where everything is sitting on a line ready to scoop and serve, and for you it's about that where do the ingredients start, or whether you're hanging chicken for 45 minutes and making sure it's perfect every time, both of those things are great, and and there's a place in the market for all of that. I think uh, every restaurateur is a special brand of crazy. Uh, what keeps people up at night is... It's, it varies and it's different for everyone. Like, I feel like what keeps me up at night is, is more like those failures. You know, I think goals, they can be within yourself. But if, like, they will come if you do the things that you believe in. If you, like, stay. I know what my personal goals are. I know that I believe if, if Michelin ever came, like, I want Area to have a star. Right. That's my personal goal. You know, there's other goals, too, that are great. And I think financial goals, I, I really do feel like they come with the territory. Like, if you're smart as a business owner and you think about that, because there's a lot of chefs that don't think about that, it'll come. You know, it'll it'll happen. It'll fold over. There's a lot of sacrifice in, in, in the in-between, and you know right. very well. Um, we'll go back to, was it 527, 627? 627. 627. Um the sacrifices you make in the meantime so your concept can be successful, there are years of sacrifice. Absolutely. It's not moments. It's right. years. And you it live absolutely them. absolutely is years. And, and I, I truly believe that, that those years of sacrifice program your brain to think completely differently. I mean, it, it literally, it just does a thing to your brain that it's like you, you felt that hardship and you don't want to go back. Right. So you have to you play this fine line of like, okay, I know what it takes to make money. I know uh, 
what it takes to continue doing and living within the standard that we live. So how do we equate the both? And I think those are things that keep me personally up at night. For everyone, those hardships and those things that keep them up at night are different. Yeah. You know, like, I don't read reviews. I, I think if I did, I probably would never sleep. Do you think change. so? Yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever sleep. I think everybody should read reviews, but I have under, people, understand I, which reviews to ignore and which reviews to actually show your team. I think that my team reads reviews, and they inform me of the ones I should know about. That's a great dynamic for some people. Yeah. I can see that. So I made it a point. I knew everything being said about Pincho every minute of every day. Oof. It was... God bless you, man. <laughs> but I also knew how to compartmentalize that where I wouldn't come down on my team if I saw a review or I knew where it's like, ah, eh, fuck off. Right. Right? But sometimes we've been able to find really valuable information in a timely fashion and correct something at a store before it was widespread. Yeah. Right? So there's, there's some value to that. And sometimes it's got to be your team and sometimes it's got to be you. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, they... And I feel like... That practice has worked for me, and they've been able to address things that even without even me knowing. Great. And that's, you know, they are my team because I trust them for the thing, and that's the thing. So, I don't know. I just feel like if I read through all of them, and it's just like, ah, it would just drive me nuts. Well, for me, it wasn't just reviews. It was hashtags. It was searching on Twitter as two separate words. Oh. All of it. All of it. Every day. Even after I left, I found myself still doing that every say it just became habit for so long that I wanted to know everything that was going on at all points. How old were you when uh, Pincho opened? Man, we were babies. Otto and I were both 24. Otto had just turned 24 a couple days before the grand opening. My brother Nazar was 19 when we started Pincho. Right. And I look at the things my brother has going on right now, and he's – I look up to him. Uh, he's an absolute – I mean, he's a beast. Um, and he he came through Pincho in the thick of it, worked as a, at the ground level, worked as a manager, uh, now doing amazing things at Night Owl. He's got his own kind of clothing brand. And we were, but we were babies when we started this. It's like a family of entrepreneurs, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, we – We've always punched above our weight. Like uh, we're That's not afraid of do anything. It, if you uh, if, if you really want to do it, you got to do it that way. Fear fear is not part of our vocabulary. Um, and I, as we were building uh, get real, I would always make the the uh, the analogy of like we're, we're we'll put the landing gear on when we're thirty thousand feet in the air. Let's get real. Get real was the meal service plan. Ah, right. um, and so. You know, you just you have to go for things sometimes. And, and for me, COVID was a massive disruption. I mean, I lost half of my net worth, not just like my savings or my income. It was my net worth that got massively disrupted in all of this. God bless you uh, for just being like very normal while you say that. I, I mean, I am now a few months ago. It was I, I got to some pretty dark places and, and it was very hard. Yeah. Uh, and so you just. You have to work through it. You have to seek help. In my my case, it was therapy that 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 helped. Uh, there was, it, there's so much that like a human can take on their own. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thankfully, I've got a great support system. I've got eight siblings. Um, eight, eight siblings. I'm the eight. I'm the oldest of nine. Man. You're the eight. You're you're the oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. Fuck. Well, how yeah. old is the youngest? 
Uh, well, so my father got remarried, and my youngest sibling is seven. Jeez. I have, I have siblings the age of my children. Like, my siblings wow. and kids play together. So, like, uh, and it, they're, it's their uncle or aunt. It's their aunt, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they make it a point to remind my kids all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's Like, that's you have amazing. to listen to me because I'm your aunt, yeah. even though we're the same age. That's wild. Man, the oldest of nine. Yeah. It's just me and my sister. Small. It's very small. That's enough. Mercy is the is a crowd of ten. So I I get it. Listen, I don't understand how my parents do it. We 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 have we have three kids at home and three girls. We're outnumbered, and it is it's a battle. I bet it's a fucking battle. I bet. So you were twenty four when Pincho started. Twenty four. Your brother was nineteen. Yep. Otto was 20, also twenty four. Twenty four. How long was that? That was uh, you were there for what? Until- I was there for seven years and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so November to twenty ten to about April of twenty eighteen. What um from the the seven years? What were some of the moments that you remember the most? So I'm sure. Many. I'm sure there's so, so many. many. You got to boil it down to three. Come on, now. so many moments. I can't. I don't know that I can do three. One that was absolutely batshit crazy. We're still just Bird Road. I love Never that. been to She's our crazy. Bird Road store. It's 1,200 square feet. Does not have a walk-in cooler. Oh, man. It's got are... this 300 square foot hallway that just disrupts everything. It's the <laughs> okay. worst layout on the planet. Second gen space. Second gen space. I believe it. It was the one landlord that would take a chance and give us a good deal on it. Even kept all the equipment in there for us. And he's like, it's yours. If you stay five years, all the equipment's yours. Um, it's a nice deal. It was, and actually, probably one of the better landlords I've dealt with in my career. Good um, for them. And we get a call from American Airlines, and we had just launched actually the food truck at the time. Um, and I, I don't talk about those days a lot; those were traumatizing. Um, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a call, and they're like, "Hey, we'd like uh, catering for five thousand people." Now, if you remember from the auto episode, our first year, we did 230 grand in our first year. Yeah, yeah. Right? So anybody who was willing to pay us, I was going to say yes. Believe it. So this was in early year two. Get that call. Adrian had just joined the organization, which was a huge pivotal moment for the company. Um and so I get that call and like, hey, you know, we want you to cook on the tarmac and it's to serve 5,000 employees for Employee Appreciation Day. And I was like, yes. How much do you want to pay? Yeah. <laughs> and they gave me a budget and I was like, I will make that budget work. My wife and Adrian get in a little later and like, hey, we got a catering gig, 5,000 people for American Airlines. And their first question is, well, how the fuck are we going to execute that? Right. Like, I don't know, but I said yes, and we've got to figure it out. Um, and it was nerve-wracking. I thought we were going to fuck this up. No experience in catering whatsoever. Barely restaurant experience at the time. Catering is wild. We're going catering on. is wild. Is wild. But thankfully, the food truck community at the time, and you may remember this well, is very tight-knit. Everybody, That's, when I met, that's when I met you the yes. first time. Yeah. So... Everybody knew each other. Everybody was willing to lend a hand. It was a very kind of tribal community. Yeah, it was cool back then. Yes. Not so much anymore. 
So Adrian actually had a truck just before that called the Flying Saucer, which I think you guys had talked about with the tenders and stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I totally misinterpreted it. It was like, the, <laughs> yeah, but it was cool. I Yeah, uh, I get it. So we got his truck and then uh, Alfredo from Mr. Good Stuff. We called Pepsi and we're like, hey, we need a trailer to be able to house um, beverages. We need something that we can do some ice. Can you help us? They offered to, to help. Uh, I, I've always had a wonderful relationship with Pepsi, and even though I slightly prefer Coca-Cola as a cola, as a company, I will always lean towards Pepsi to do business with. But you don't drink soda. I don't drink soda. So I, It's funny because I don't drink soda either, but I prefer Pepsi over Coke. And, and but Coke, a, if you want to sponsor this podcast, I totally love you, and you can sponsor <laughs> and give us all your money at Dade Mag. What is the thing? <laughs> what is it again? It's uh, ads at Dade. There it is. That's it. Ads at Dade. That was Coke, a Joe here. Biden three zero one one zero moment. <laughs> you know the thing. Whatever. <laughs> I'll just take all your money. It's totally fine. You know. Um, so we show up, CBI truck, a uh, truck full of ice, a truck with Martin's potato rolls, Those three food trucks, good rolls, good rolls, and like we just caravan in there like we had been doing this our entire life like nice act like you've been there before that's oh yeah always, that's always my yeah thing. we we fucking yeah we got this on the way to the airport the pepsi trailer they gave us the tire explodes oh man there's is... just rubber everywhere we have all the sodas on this trailer no spare tire it's 5 a.m we've got nowhere to turn to we had to turn back Unload the trailer onto one of the food trucks oh, and rework now our what was a wonderful plan into this new plan. Pull up to the tarmac. There's planes taking off just like a few feet away from us. That's pretty cool. It's one of the coolest gigs I've ever done in my life. Yeah, that's cool. And we've got Otto, his then-girlfriend, his now-wife, my mother-in-law, my wife, couple friends who volunteered to come over and help. Um, a cook from Blue Collar who Danny lent us. Thanks, Danny uh, Surfer. <laughs> and and we just we did it. Like somehow we pulled that whole thing off. We had to rework the positioning like twice to figure it out. Uh, and somehow we fed five thousand people in the time frame that they gave us. That's amazing. Definitely one of the coolest gigs we've we've ever done. Love that. Um. That was a long for just one. Now, I know, but I'm <laughs> waiting for two more. I, like it's a hard follow up, man. That is a hard follow up because that that was definitely one of the cool ones. Um, a funnier one. I w- so the first grand opening that I missed was actually Pincho Kendall. It was okay. also the biggest grand opening uh, in the company. Mm. So I was in uh, I was in Poughkeepsie at the CIA uh, doing this like seminar. It was actually a lot of fun. That's cool. Um, I'm doing a seminar for them too. Oh, really? Yeah, in in November. It was it was really cool, and I'd never been in like upstate New York. The scenery was absolutely gorgeous. Had a great time. So as I'm boarding the plane, the grand opening has happened. It was actually April 20th of uh, 2017, and yes, we did pick that date purposely. Um, what was the date? April 20th. Okay. Oh yeah. That's good. <laughs> so, for people who can't do that, that's four twenty. <laughs> that was, uh, and it's a great day to give out free burgers because we did a free burgers for our, all of our grand openings or most of our grand openings. Man, that is such a grand opening. Yeah. So I call Otto right as I'm boarding the plane. He's like, "Bro, 
people are waiting an hour. The line is down the block, and I don't know what the fuck to do. And I'm like, well, they're waiting, right? He's like, yeah. But I'm like, so what are you stressed about? <laughs> yeah, if they're waiting, they're waiting, bro. <laughs> like, that's, that's awesome. He's like, no, you don't understand. The toilet backed up. There's a brand new store. How's the toilet backing up? Um, there's <laughs> people waiting in line. That's how. Uh, that was that was definitely a nice kind of comedic relief. I got I, I when I landed that day, I was getting all kinds of. Where the fuck were you? I was like, I was having fun for a change. I'd I never, mean, you know, I'd like, never missed one to, of these. Right. Um, you got to do you, man. Little known. So at all of our grand openings, I almost always ended up at a McDonald's drive-through because I never ate anything. And because you I didn't want to make di- sure you had enough food. Didn't want, and I didn't want to disrupt the team. Right, I'm they're freaking hustling, working their asses off. The last thing I want to do is like, can you make one for me? Like, I would tell myself to fly a kite at that stage. Yeah. So I'd always end up at a McDonald's drive-through. Uh, so that was the first one that I missed. It was a big moment, big store, but the team, as always, pulled it off flawlessly, uh, or as close to flawlessly as, as they could. Number three. Come on, give me partnership a with the Heat. That was pretty cool. So Tell we opened up. That. We opened up in the arena, and I sensed the concessionaire had a little bit of hesitancy about us. Um, the Heat were really wanted to bring in more local brands and and have a more Miami food program. Mm-hmm. But obviously, concessions aren't built to handle operations like ours right so we had to kind of meet in the middle there and they put us up in the 300 section in a corner where nobody really went um and the the coolest part and a testament to how loyal people were and are to pincho we raised the sales of that section by 35 percent wow a number by their own admission had never happened in their operation um and we were also a sponsor at the time. And the first game that I went to that I saw our logo on that fucking screen, I cried. Like, I was That's I cool. was a mess. I also cry a lot, so that was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big crier, too, I'm, I'm a crier, but that moment really got me, man. Seeing, seeing, I mean, started this from nothing, that 627 story, all of that stuff, to, like, seeing your logo spinning on the fucking Jumbotron as LeBron is about to step on the fucking court. It Who's was that? really cool. Who's that? I'm sorry. <laughs> he plays for another team now. He does play for another team now. but it, And it was really cool for us as a brand to experience that during the Big Three uh, era. So, right. All right. So that's three solid, great stories. I really love the... The second one. I mean, the both the five thousand people on a tarmac is pretty cool. That is pretty fucking dope. Um, so then, what led to you leaving seven years later? Man, a big part of it was my health. I was a three hundred and seven pound chain smoker. Um, around my birthday every year, I, I tend to do the doctor thing and get blood work and do all of that stuff. And I've always heard the the same story. Where it's like, I've had high blood pressure since I was about 23. And um, so the doctor just kind of looks at me and he's like, buddy, you know, now we've added cholesterol to the mix. Yeah. Continue to smoke. I don't know if we're going to see 50. And you're going to have to govern yourself accordingly. And so at the time, two things were happening. We were raising some money. 
there was a new kind of partner that wanted to get involved. And we had just hired somebody uh, as kind of the president of the organization to work under me. And it was a really weird dynamic, but I'm looking around at the table. And although it didn't work out with him in the long term, but there was a certain amount of experience and, and just kind of authority to his presence that I, it felt right at the time to step away from that. And I went home, I, I spoke to my wife, and I told her, look, there's an opportunity for us to walk away with a little bit of money, we can start over and, and potentially do some other stuff, and it won't have to be the 100-hour weeks or the travel or all of this. Right. Uh, and this came a year after, we had, a, we had a store in Orlando that, from a sales perspective, did really well, from a franchise relationship, did not. Right. And I found myself on a first name basis with everybody in this hotel that I would stay at all the time in Orlando. I was like, holy shit, I'm coming up here way too often. Right. Uh, and for all the wrong reasons, right? What um, were some of the wrong reasons? So I, it, it was, it was just a lot of things that were going wrong there from, you know, products not being used properly, service issues. There was a lot of stuff uh, that just wasn't up to our standard. At, at one point we paid for a manager and his family to move to Orlando to help turn this store around. Wow. And we ended up turning it around drastically, but unfortunately we just couldn't salvage the relationship and we had to part ways with that. Mm. Uh, but it was, it was just taking a huge toll and it, you know, the moment at the time all felt right. And I was just like, it's, it's, it's time, but my, my kid's going off to college. Uh, and so I wanted to see the baby grow. I wanted to see it flourish and it was time for me to step out of the way. Mm. How did that feel? Strange. And as my as my oldest gets older now, I compare these feelings a lot. Like, uh, isn't she, it crazy how we like compare restaurants to like people? But it, I do it, that shit all the time. It's just like, I mean, I, what I, is I re- a restaurant without people? Well, I, I mean, I refer to my restaurants as like a living, breathing thing. They I, have I, personalities. I, I, duh. You they don't have, have to explain that to me. We, I know. I look. I, we I, would I, use pincho as a verb, a noun, and an adjective. And it completely interchangeably, like, we would be testing a product, we'd look at it, like, eh, it's not really Pincho. And we would automatically knew exactly what that person was saying when they said that statement. Right. And so, they are people. And, and <laughs> so, at one point, we had a finance and accounting people, and I have never really gotten along a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> Makes sense from a, a kitchen person's perspective. And... I, I'm I'm also a big company culture kind of guy. Sure. There are a few books that really led to a really radical change in my thinking when it Name came one. to people. Uh, so setting the table, Danny Meyer, Danny like Meyer. that's Danny. Whenever you want to come on the reading. show, you've been referenced so many times. Just um, Nick, put in a call. And um, so Howard Schultz's books, uh, both of them, pour your heart into it and onward. And Tony Shea is the late Tony Shea and uh, Delivering Happiness. Uh, those four were really big dynamic changers for me. And there was one, one location that we took over, second gen space of a, what was a large chain out of Brazil came into Miami. And they were really great stores for us. The layouts were really great. Um, and they spent a lot of money on them. They had really expensive chairs, pretty expensive equipment, but none of it really fit with what we would do. So when we would step in, we'd have a used equipment company come in, just take it all out and give us pennies oh, on the yeah. dollar. 
And so the check from one of those stores was $2,000. And I, I'm talking about when you see that list, it was massive. And the check is sitting on our, our finance person's desk and he's getting ready to go deposit it. And I was like, I can't pass this moment up. Cause he was always fight with me like, Oh, what is culture? How do we quantify this? And you know, and I was like, they'll never understand the human, the human capital aspect of what it takes to run a restaurant. Absolutely. So I pick up the check and I, I show it to him and I'm like, that's the value of a restaurant without people. Uh, that's a good one. And, and it's, it's true. Like these people spent eight to $900,000 on these build outs. What they got out of it was two grand. Yeah. That's well, that equipment, was what, equipment is pennies on the dollar. That was what was left over of it. So there's no life in that place without the people that are working it day and night. I feel like a, a good restaurant and, a, you know, like you can automatically walk into a restaurant and see when it's um, formulated by a business person and when it's formulated by a restaurant person. And like... I obviously have like a huge soft spot for area because it was my first child. And it's like, I love, I love that restaurant very much, but it's like a living, breathing thing. Some days she's just not having it. She's just <laughs> like, literally, she's just not having it. Nothing works. It's just fighting you like tooth and nail. Like, I don't want to work today. It is this thing. We all have those days. So why would sure. a restaurant? Exactly. And it's in order to, to get the guest to have the experience that you want yes to have everything needs to work and in a restaurant so often not everything works and i think from a, a finance perspective people don't get that they don't understand all these things need to work and then all the people need to work with these things so if these things don't work then the people can't work with these things and then nothing happens the way it's supposed to happen and then the money at the end of the day doesn't equate what you should make and there are so many times where spreadsheets will lie to you Tell you a great example. Hot dogs. Very hot topic at Bean Show. I'm sure anybody in the Bean Show system was I listening right now I'm, I'm, I'm is cracking a, up right now. I'm opening a hot dog concert. So I love <laughs> oh, really? This. Yeah. So hot dogs were what I used to refer to as one point nothing percent of our sales. Okay. And I kept fighting with everybody. We need to get the hot dog off the menu. And they're like, bro, but our hot dog is good. I'm like, I know the hot dog's good. I was born in Chicago, and I know we serve one of the best hot dogs, but the numbers are telling us otherwise. Nobody wants this thing. Right. So why are we carrying a specific bread and a hot dog, a couple of toppings just for this? Just get rid of it. Everybody fought me on this. Everybody. Um, every week when we'd review the P-mixes and all of this stuff, I'd bring it up again. One day they finally cave, and they listened to me. Took the hot dog off the menu. Some stores saw a 15% drop in sales. Huh. It was one point nothing percent, but we saw a huge drop in sales at some stores. Well, that 1% was bringing their kids in right. for the hot dog and said, well, if you don't have a hot dog for my kid, I'm not fucking coming. <laughs> Man, that, that's crazy. It is crazy. It was a huge like wake up call. Like, yes, data is really important, but you have to add the human element to the data in order for it to be successful. Yeah, the, the human element for oh, man, it's just so intriguing because restaurants, all albeit like on our end, we try to build this efficient machine of execution and standard and so on and so forth. 
But the human element oftentimes throws a curveball into that whole thing of what is it that people want? What is it that people are pining for? How right. are they trying to dine? Are they dining with kids? Are they dining without kids? Are they dining... Are they? Is this a date night spot? Are they, it's there's so many layers to it, right? That it's. I think that aspect too does keep me up at, at night too, because it's like you can't call all the aspects of everything. And I know, like specifically, I hear this statement all the time: you need to be something for a faction of people, but not everything to everybody. Absolutely. And that's tough because in a restaurant industry, and I've had this conversation. All right, chefs. You guys are the best. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, I, I had this conversation with Danny Surfer, actually. It's like, you want to make sure that there's something for everybody on the menu. And it's so hard to do that because right. people or humans are so different. Right? It's like, how do you create a menu that's for everybody? And I think that's why... After being open for almost six years, like, Ariad is my opportunity to, this is just who I am and who we are. But then as we grow as a company into other concepts, I have to think very differently. Right. You know, so it's a it's an interesting situation that we play only within our own minds, right? It's, we're trying to provide a service, but at the same time, stay true to who you are. Right. And it's tough. They, it's very I tough. I mean, they're to bring back the child analogy, like they're a representation of us. Right. Right. Um, but there are also different parts of us. So that can be fun in doing that in a multi-concept kind of venue where like, yes, I'm a news junkie, but I also love Marvel shows and I could talk for hours about the Marvel cinematic universe. Right. Me too. And so it's, I think it could be a lot of fun to have something where it's like, Oh, this is the more playful side of who I am. And, right. and this is, you know, the kid side of me. Um, and this is the more sophisticated side, and this is just the batshit crazy side. And so all of those elements can be a lot of fun as you grow your organization and start thinking about how all of these concepts are different. That concept doesn't need to reflect Ariette because children are different, right? Mm. My three kids, I mean, you would think they had different parents. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, so it, it, it's really interesting that way in that, you, you can't accomplish that in a multi-concept kind of venue where each one can have its own personality and still be a part of who you are. But then it's tough because you have to make sure each child has its own personality. Right. And then you have to then cut yourself into certain different dynamics so it has different personalities. It's tough. I, you know, like those, as we've grown, for me, that's some of the battles that I face because... Uh, I, I just don't know. Sometimes I'm like, this is what I really want to do, but does this work here? The, I, this is what I really want to do, but does it work there? Like, it's right. a very, it's a big mind fuck sometimes, you know? That's why I often wonder if I had one concept that I were to stamp out several times, how would that work out for me long term? I gotta admit, it's a lot less fun. I, I'm sure. It's a lot less fun. I, I can only imagine. There's there is a fun aspect to doing more of them because it's it, you know it kind of becomes a pride thing and you're seeing something grow. Uh, at one point uh, earlier on in in my career, my my goals were to have three different concepts in that Bird Road Shopping Center 
Uh, and it was cool. burgers, pizza, and tacos, coincidentally. Not Weird. coincidentally. Weird. <laughs> Not coincidentally at all. <laughs> Weird. But that's what I want. And at one point, I actually lived in walking distance of those. I was like, this is going to be the coolest gig ever. I just walked to my three restaurants, and that right. would be awesome. Um, but I think there's there's some value in that. And that's part of what kind of drove me to do this kind of multi-concept style thing where it's like, wow, I can have all of me under one roof. Uh, and that could be a lot of fun, right? And and yes, it's it's virtual. And yes, it's delivery only. And I've even had some shifting thoughts on that, on maybe doing some places where you can get the same selection where you can actually dine there. Um, but it, it that for me is kind of my next drive is like, how do I put out all of these crazy thoughts onto something, but still have each one be represented by people who are actually the driver and are, are actually more authentic to that type of cuisine. Mm. I think that the different concepts under one roof, like I've seen the the idea of how it works, but I've also seen the idea of how it fails, right? Like, you know, there's certain food halls, like actual physical food halls, that when you go into them, they just, it's such a poor execution of experience. I agree. You know, like, uh, and just, I'm not going to name any names, but the food hall that I was previously in, uh, albeit a very short stint, you know, I, I feel like they, they very much failed to understand that it's, there's a lot to it, to the guest experience of trying to understand what it takes to have someone have a good time. Right. In that space. Um, it's not, sadly, it's not just about food. People are, are coming out because they want to have a good time. Right. So how can you make sure they have a good time, make sure that the place feels good, it's warm, it's inviting, and it's also on top of all that, it's good. The food is good. Right. Service is good. You know, I, I see, in my mind, like I see the, the aspect of how when you remove the service element of it, how it becomes easier because service is super fucking hard. It is. To, to execute service at a high level is, and when I mean at a high level, it doesn't need to be just at a fine dining level. It could be high level of fast casual. That's very hard. Fast food, that's very hard. Absolutely. All those things. I mean, that, Chick-fil-A has shown that you can do service at a high level at a low-end concept, right? Right. right. I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I dined at a Chick-fil-A. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think... All those things from the service side makes it much more difficult than just executing the food because you can make the food efficient, solid every single time if you train properly and right. you're like very adamant about like driving it in. But once you add the human element to that and humans that you don't know, it changes everything. Right. It changes everything dramatically. And it's like every human experiences that time differently. Well, I think – couple of issues there one of my biggest gripes with food halls is why do i have to pay multiple times why can't yeah, i just no. why can't i just pay once for all of this stuff and just have it right so that's just kind of one pet peeve about food halls but the other part is a lot of the the, the business model is more of a real estate model and not it's not restaurant folks doing it and, and we're, that's we're going back to reef technologies you're right and, and so, and that's where things get kind of convoluted, where it's like, you got to maximize your sales per square foot. And that's an important metric, but 
you've got to do it in a way that speaks to each individual concept that's in there. I, I find it like the uh, equivalent, like when you're doing the equivalent of sales per square foot, sometimes when I look at build outs now, when I look at restaurants and how they're growing, I oftentimes wonder like, how the fuck do these people pay for this? Because like you're looking at a restaurant that could cost, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, twelve million dollars to build. Right. And you're like, what kind of sales are you trying to do here? Like, are you going to do ten million dollars a year? Are you going to do twenty million dollars a year? Like, at that point, it becomes funny money to me, and I have a hard time because I live in the world of like twenty-five to thirty-two hundred square foot. Right. Like that's my restaurant model to execute the things that I see my food can live within right when you go bigger than that i'm like it's daunting to me like five thousand six thousand square feet ten million dollar build out like throwing tons of money at it how are you making money in the long term i have i have such a hard I mean, a lot I, of people I, have figured it out no i, I <laughs> it's, and, it's and really I, crazy but and, i agree and, with you and I, I, and I understand that like there's several ways to look at it is it a managing deal are you uh, are you a franchisee are you a franchisor are you there's so many ways to look at it but that's what i mean is like when you look at the restaurant game there's so many layers to it right it's a huge onion it is it's like there's so many different types of restaurants like small mom and pop places compared to multinational corporations that they're really just looking at real estate at the end of the game at the end of the day they're not looking at like the restaurant itself right so that's why me as a romantic restaurateur is a very tough place to be in <laughs> because I find love and passion in all of it, but love and passion doesn't equate dollars and cents. Right. Not always. And it's like most of the time it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, my, <laughs> most, most you've been of, very fortunate that you've done well, but most of the right. time it does not. Right. So, and I think that's why when I have a lot of conversations with investors and other people, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'd rather not do business with you. Because if you're not talking about the things that I talk about, long it's term, so hard to find those. It's so hard to find investors that are talking about the things you're talking about. I'm fortunate. You are. I'm fortunate. Uh, like, but at the end of the day, I also know that within our growth, in my mind, I could not grow. I could have not grown, and I would have been good with the one. That my dream ten years ago, I, I I've lived it. And I'm living it every day. The growth is a whole other different experience that I wasn't prepared for. So that's why the evolution of the thing and the, the moving of the thing is, is something that I think uh, has been quite a curveball for me personally. That's why I couldn't imagine having 10 stores of one thing. Because I don't know how that would play in my brain. You know? What, what's, what's cool about that experience is seeing people growth. So... For me, one of the things I'm most proud of of those years at Bincho is out there in both the Bincho system and out at other concepts today, there are several, and I mean dozens, of former cooks and bussers and dishwashers and servers who are now managers and operators and doing much better for themselves because of the training and the development that we were able to support them with. For sure. And so that was a really cool dynamic to see is that people growth. 
Um, and so that becomes a real, like, it becomes a drug, man. When you, when you start promoting people and you start seeing all this growth and you start to remember when you first interviewed them to like, now they're talking to you about their P and L's and how their, their store is running. It's a really fascinating type of conversation to see and type of growth in a human being to see. I, I find that the, and just from the, the kitchen side, like, seeing young cooks grow from not knowing how to cook properly to knowing how to cook properly to then running their own kitchens is one of the most vindicating places I've ever been because I feel like cooking is coaching. Right. Like you can coach if you can coach them to be a better cook, to understand better about what it takes to execute good food, you've done your job. Absolutely. All the other stuff like the human element, the, the human, and like you said, the human growth aspect is one of the best parts of the job. All the other stuff is just is just kind of there. It's part of the job. But this this portion of it, that influence you can have on people to then influence someone else to then influence someone else is incredible. And it's not something that's ever on paper. You just see it and you feel it. Yeah. And it doesn't equate into awards. It doesn't equate into shit. It just equates it equates into like that person knows that you taught them that, and then they taught someone else that, and then so on and so. So it's almost like a legacy thing at that point. You're creating a legacy for the shit that you know, right? I, I um, to go back to crying stories. I actually recently had a situation where I like really teared up. Um, the current manager of of Pincho and Hialeah, his name is Courtney awesome really awesome guy and i remember when he came in for his interview he had no management experience had a lot of kitchen experience at big chains and always got passed up on promotions my brother was actually the first who spoke to him he calls me he's like hey i really want you to talk to this guy i want i just want a gut check from you i think there's something there talk we interview he leaves and i look at at my brother and uh, Esteban, who was our director of operations at the time, and I'm like, guys, that's a beast waiting to happen. And if we if we nurture that beast, he's going to be really great, both for himself and for the system. And hire him on the spot, give him the management position, and let's see where this goes. And it was just a f- few weeks or a few months ago, he texts me in the evening a picture he had one manager of the year for the third year in a row. And he's like, Hey, I just wanted to thank you. You were the one who gave me the opportunity. I really appreciate you. And I'm in bed, like crying. My wife's looking at me like, what happened? I'm like, Oh, I just got this text from Courtney. And it was like, it was so gratifying to see that not only is he still in the system, but thriving and really showing that we took the bet on the right horse. And he right. was, he was he, I mean, just an amazing human. Yeah. I, you see that so often in restaurant culture. Right. And I love that. It's like uh, taking the gamble on someone that someone ha- for some reason didn't see what it took in them. Someone took a chance on me once upon a time. I remember I was a fry cook at a big steakhouse and I was fucking onion rings up. But like they did that. Right. And more often than not here, like I have I have a lot of younger chefs that work for me. And they're just like, you know, this person doesn't have the proper experience to cook our food. And I was like, but that's our job. Right. But do they have the willingness? Do they have the care? Do they have the personality? 
to be part of the team because the team is really what executes the end result, right? And we have so many examples throughout the company of just people that started at a place and they're no longer at that place and they've grown. And, you know, just for instance, our director of operations, Brittany, which was also on the show, she was a GM before and now she's director of operations. And I couldn't imagine, you know, doing this thing day to day without her. You know, she she's grown so much in just the year that she's taken this job. She also took the job during the worst part of our industry in general. So the pivoting and the moving and the and just like the thing, like, you know, people that started as bartenders like Emma, that's now a bar manager for the entire property. Nice. Um, you know, Todd, which was just Summit area, now is the beverage director for the entire company. Like things like that really to me. The GM at Ariat was a server just eight months ago. And stuff like that is like taking the people within your thing and nurturing their talent to be more because you believe in them and they also believe in themselves. Absolutely. Because a person's got to believe in themselves to do it. They got to be able to gamble on themselves. Absolutely. It's going to be hard. Regardless. It's going to be hard. It's always hard. I mean, you're in the restaurant business. Nothing's going to be fucking easy. But not everyone understands that it's going to be hard. <laughs> like, it's going to be hard, and you got to be able to – you have to be willing to take that jump. But you, you said something there that I think is, is crucial, and so many entrepreneurs miss that part of their story and forget it when they get a team, right? Where, yeah, we all love to talk about how hard we worked and all the sacrifices we made, and it's all true. But the fact of the matter is somewhere down the line, somebody took a chance on us. Sure. And I believe it's not only the right thing to do, but it's our responsibility to take a chance on somebody else. Sure. And move that forward. And that's really the only way we as a society move forward is by taking chances on each other and seeing how things turn out and a lot of times that may not work out and they may turn turn out to be ungrateful but more times than not those people will turn out to remember it and will grow and will help you grow yeah and you have to believe in your people for them to believe in you i you have to believe in your people for them to believe in you absolutely attitude reflects leadership 100 percent uh one of my mentors repeated this till i was till he was blue in the face Culture starts at the top. Culture starts at the top. And if you don't know where culture starts, it starts at the top. And it's completely true that everybody is a reflection of what you're doing. I, and they're a reflection of how you treat them. For sure. I I often attribute a lot of the ways that I, I manage people to the years I played sports, right? Because it was a team game. You have to be the eighth grade basketball MVP in order to be That's able only, to. I mean, I lives in infamy forever. I have to find that trophy so I can bring it on the show. I really do. It exists. Guys. I just want to say it exists. I, you know, I was also uh, most improved player on my seventh grade volleyball team. If anyone Ooh. wants to throw that in there, that oh, actually man. happened also. Only year I ever played volleyball, most improved player ever. So well, hold on. This was the only year you played and you got the most improved? That's right. So just from beginning to the end of the season. That's correct. Man. <laughs> that shows progress, man. It does. It does. shows no, dedication. You're right. To, hit, to spike in that ball. I'm just saying. So the nurturing talent part of what, what I really like want out of people is like when people often complain – 
higher end, higher end people complain about, well, so-and-so and this and that. I was like, but did we give them the proper tools to be successful? Oh, I love what I'm hearing right now. Did we, did we, did we coach them in the right way? Did we walk them through the right way? And listen, if you walk it through three times and you still fail, then at that point, then maybe they're not fit for the job. Right. But have we trained them and shown them all the things that we know to possibly make them successful? And I would say 99% of the time, we haven't. And I think that that's our failure. So when my team fails, it's my failure. I truly believe that. If my team fails, it's because I somehow, somewhere missed something and we failed. And it trickles down. Right? It, Absolutely. It, 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 it trickles down. It's like, well, did the corporate chefs do this? Did the director of ops do this? Did they, like, Have we really exhausted every opportunity to train people to be successful? Because I also think that in restaurants, and I'm sure just like in other industries, is like, you look at your team and you, you have to position them in places for them to be successful. Right. You can't force a square into a circle hole, right? If they're not meant for that job, but maybe they're meant for another one, find the job. If they're a good human, find them the job that they're meant for. Right. And then maybe they'll flourish. If they don't, then at that point, we have to reassess the whole situation. Absolutely. But exhaust and, all things. And you've got to go through the process. Train, retrain, retrain again, and then consider replace. Uh, but only when you've exhausted them should you go through that process. I mean, losing a job is a very hard thing to do, right? And replacing that person is also a very expensive thing to do. Right. And so you've got to look at it from both of those angles and say sometimes it's kind of on us. And and one thing that I love about, uh, you know, to go back to Pincho today, I mean, Otto's done an amazing job in putting together a really sophisticated training program for everybody well, and, and I consider what we had before pretty fucking good. And now it's just leaps and bounds beyond that to where people can actually like you have the tools to not only be trained, but if you're a self-starter, you now have a, have a platform to thrive. Right. And it encourages a lot of that self-thriving and that, that self-starting uh, mentality. Tell me your thoughts on WandaVision. I loved it. I loved it too. WandaVision was fucking great. I loved and it I too. And I understand the people that got impatient with the well, first listen, two, you, you three gotta, episodes. No, four. You got to get through the first four episodes. But you also have to understand that Kevin Feige is who he is, and he's going to serve you up really something really great at the end of that. I have to and say that that show, I was so happy finishing that show. Like, it was such a good they, show. they paid off the whole sitcom thing so great. So great. So, like, if you didn't cry... At that episode where she's reliving her childhood, you're not human. Yeah. Well, like, just don't talk to me. I didn't cry. But, I mean, I, I felt it. I didn't cry. I didn't, like, I didn't shed tears. Oh but I watched God, it. Oh, my God. That was so incredible. I got it. I got to tell you, I smoked so much weed to get through the first four episodes of the show. It was tough. And it was like, I was like, you know, people keep telling me, just get through it. Just get through it. I'm like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going through it. I'm going to keep going through it. And then I got through it. It was fucking great. Such a good Incredible. show. For those people that don't understand and Disney doesn't pay us any money, WandaVision, everyone had told me, it was like, you got to get, you have to, there's a couple guys that I really listened to about um, like anything that's like Marvel Universe comic book-ish. Brian Hasdit, which was my um, offensive line center in college. Very smart comic book guy. Um, 
He was like, just got to get to the fourth episode. And I was like, all right, I'm going to fucking plow through here and I'm going to watch all of it. <laughs> and I did. And I watched it and it was fucking great. It, it was, was incredible. So good and so well done. Good acting, good writing. And that's so rare. Um, I mean, not as good as Cobra Kai, but still very good. It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw the joke in there. Not winning any Oscars, but it's fine. Um, but it was great. And then uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I thought, was also very good. That was incredible. I mean, it was on par with a Bad Boys 2 in terms of kind of buddy cop comedy sure. action style. Uh, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I it, love, it was, I, I it was such s- an adventure to watch. And I also like the way they talked about certain kind of social issues oh, yeah, without yeah. really kind of make it in your face kind of preachy where it's oh, like, okay. hey, these issues exist, but we're not necessarily going to go all. No, but you, you, you can say the social issues are is that the star of the show is an African-American man. Right. And he experiences certain things that he felt like he was uh, treated differently. Correct. By whatever, and then when people found out who he was, uh, then they automatically changed their tone. Right, but even beyond that, like with the whole Black Captain America, That's right. and like they That's right. really did like a really cool deep dive into a lot of the, these issues, and without without necessarily like making you roll your eyes at it either, because there are some shows that like. Like Grey's Anatomy does a really terrible job at this, and yes, I watch Grey's Anatomy. You watch Grey's Anatomy. I my wife, I didn't even know that Grey's Anatomy was still on TV. So, how many seasons of Grey's Anatomy have has the world too endured? Fucking many. This is like okay. days of our lives. How, can you look? What are you doing? <laughs> Research department. Are, can you can you produce something for once? For fuck's sake, tell me how many seasons of Grey's Anatomy exist. So several years ago, my we uh, were living in this really small apartment. We had one TV. And so I'm shocked naturally anatomy. there was this, you know, you had to share TV time. Sure. And so my wife is uh, Grey's Anatomy is in its 17th season. Oh, so it's like NCIS. Go on. Yeah. And bordering on um, SVU, which is now in its like 21st season. I know, but SVU is like great. But it's, yeah, SVU is fine. But I, I think, you know, with uh, with the way Grey's Anatomy has handled both COVID and social issues. It's kind of like, man, it's, it's a little over the top. And, but but, and I don't want to relive what's fucking going on right now on the news. Like, yeah. I'm looking for an escape. And that's where I thought Falcon and Winter Soldier did a really great job of that, where it's like, you don't have to relive these really weird moments that we're going through right now, yeah. but still kind of touch on them in a way that was, I, I thought, very tasteful, very informing and artistic and fun. It was great. I think that pertaining to the social issues, I think they did a good job of, you understand this is an issue. Right. We address that it's an issue, especially the fact that the star of the show is an African-American man. They talk about the issue and it, they're very direct about it. Right. Which is that scene at the bank, right? Or it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was, like, but can I get your picture? Yeah, that's right. Can I get a picture with you? Yeah, <laughs> and and that's a reality that many people have to live with today, right? And and it's it's always been an issue in the black community of of access to capital, etc. But again, it did it, it. They touched on it in a way that I felt 
did the cause justice sure. and not turn people away from it. Yeah. And that's what I that's probably what I enjoyed most about the show. Since I haven't really deep dove, deep dive, I don't know how to say that properly, into Grey's Anatomy lately, I don't know the comparison that you're making, but I I understand it. It's like watching CNN. I also don't watch CNN. <laughs> I'm, I'm Neither sorry. do I, but that's the. I the just I don't comparison. I don't like I I. Um, I cut the cable cord many years ago. Same. Um, and I, I watch what I want to watch if yeah. I can ever find it. I get my political news from YouTube. Actually, there's a show on on YouTube called Rising. I, I'm actually jumping into my recommendation now, but that's exclusive. Too early. Exclusively, <laughs> where I get my political news. Like it, it's it's just phenomenal. Yeah. I don't, um, politics, hmm, that's a whole other ball of wax. So, uh, just, you only do Marvel Universe? You don't do DC also? I try with DC. What does that I mean? Try. Well, I mean, DC, I, you know, they've done some good stuff. But they've done some really horrible Really shit. bad stuff, but so, I mean, so has Marvel. Come on, like the original, like, Fantastic Four, that was pretty bad. But that was that was not under the current Marvel Cinematic Universe. I understand. Now we're just talking about like very. But remember, this is a specific production company. I understand that. Right. But you have to look at it from the the consumer that doesn't understand that they're still looking at it like this is all Marvel. I get that. Right. But like it's the not Green the Lantern. Same. Like how many times are we going to make that bad? But that was DC. No, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was the Fantastic Four? Fantastic I'm going Four. Back. How many? That's such a good comic that how many times are we going to make it bad? I would bet you that the next Fantastic Four is going to blow your mind oh, because yeah? it's going to be under this universe. All right. Think about Spider-Man, right? How many times did we fuck up Spider-Man before we got him right in this universe? Listen, but Spider-Man, like the the, the with the guy Toby, what was he? Toby McGuire. Yeah, I mean the first two were pretty good. They were pretty good, and then the second two were real bad. Yes. Real, that real whole bad. dancing scene. Yeah, I love how they made fun of that the in the um, in the cartoon one uh, uh, into the Spider Verse. Yeah. I love how they paid off like making fun of that scene. Yeah, um, but you know, and yes, even this version of the universe. I mean, they did give us Thor two, which was fucking horrific. Um, and did absolutely nothing but yeah, give but us Thor the Thor Ragnarok was good. Ragnarok was phenomenal, but really Underworld good. should have never been made. That's true. But, yeah, but that's because that's they're trying to make money, and the first one did very well. Right. But you compare that to what DC has done, that Suicide Squad, for all intents and purposes, oh, man, should have been bad. one of the greatest movies of all time. I know, it is real bad. And the actors were done such a horrible disservice because they nailed their roles perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it was real bad. But were given a terrible script and a terrible writing. And the Snyder Cut, like, people talk, oh, it's, it's so much hours. better. It's four Fuck hours. Fuck that. It's like four hours. <laughs> like, I, it like, wasn't that much better. Well, just, and I'm, I'm perfectly okay with a four-hour movie. If, it, if you need four hours to tell I have a story, to say, though, like, DC would, what, I, and hear me out. I believe what they did. What was the the Justice League movie? Yes, it was a pretty good movie. The first one? Talk about the Snyder Cut. Yeah, no, the first one. The first one. You thought it was a good movie? I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was mediocre at best. I still feel like it was better than the second Avengers movie. Avengers. Then Infinity War? Yeah. Oh no, Ultron. Ultron. Ultron was the second. I loved Ultron. Oh, man, we have a visceral disagreement. I feel like Fuck. they did not do a good job with that Ultron movie. was so good, man. So good? 
This is already more disagreement than the ghost kitchen said. Yeah, <laughs> I, we actually like fairly agreed on the ghost kitchen. I just, I, 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 I thought that okay. So, I think the fact that I went in with such a bad, like I thought it was going to be so bad, maybe makes me feel like it was pretty good. And then when I went into Ultron, I feel like it was going to be great, and I feel like it didn't really give me what I wanted. What were you looking for? I don't know. Greatness. That's what I was looking for. Um, I don't know. I, I I happen to love also, and I, I'm i really shitty with names. I hate this about myself. But the guy who played Ultron was also in the Blacklist. Oh, yeah. Uh, Spader. There James you Spader. go. He's fucking, like, I don't know what it is about him. And even though he was a robot for the whole movie, yeah. he just nailed that role completely. Um, I thought the introduction to Wanda Maximoff uh, was awesome. Like, mm. I I thought it was a great movie. It was different than the first Avengers or for, or for what followed it. But I thought I I really liked that kind of like darker storyline too. So I also feel like the when you look at like these movie series now that are maybe like ten movies deep, like with these like universes of things. Right. Like for instance, I always go back to Star Things, right? So I'm a Trekkie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Star Wars. The first three, which are technically the second three, but whatever. Mm-hmm. First three were great. Right. Which I, I often watch all the time. The second three, which are essentially the first three, were real bad. There were actually some elements that I Stop really it. Jar Jar Binks should never uh, exist. Jar Jar Binks is the worst character in all movie history. I get that. But, but you know what I loved about the, the second three? Okay. They added a complexity to Darth Vader that was more than just like sure. I want to ruin the world, and I've always like that's one of the things that I think Marvel in today's world does really well is it gives you these really complicated villains. Like you got to admit in today's context, like fucking a Thanos was right. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. like there are some days that you look at the world and you're like, fuck, Thanos is right, man. Yeah. And and you know, I like that there was that complexity to Darth Vader as Anakin. It's like it wasn't just like, oh, I wanna destroy the world and I wanna sure. rule the planet. I, I, there was more to it than that, and that I appreciated from those three, although they had their issues and I feel like Thank you, um what God, see the terrible with the names again. Favreau for paying oh. off Boba Fett in the way he deserved in The Mandalorian. I would just Mandalorian was great. It was it's great. Gr- it is great. It's a great show. I love The Mandalorian. So um but then the last four Star Wars movies have been very good. Eh. Oh man. That last one Which one? Rogue One? No. Um the Rise of Skywalker? Was it was that was it The Rise of Skywalker the last yeah, one? Yeah, that was a pretty good fucking movie. Yeah, man. I thought it was alright. What? It was, was a great movie. Oh man. And then from the Star Trek universe, which I think is the far superior one, the the last three movies, the first two were great, and then the third one they took a huge shit. Right. Like I don't understand the third one was like we just need to make a third movie, so we're just going to do this. And it was, like, very bad. Hollywood loves his trilogies, man. Fuck me. And it was just so... And it wasn't even really a trilogy because it didn't make sense with the other two. And then and then they do um, Picard, which is great. It's such a good show. It's often very, like... What's mapping. the other show? There's another show on... Like, a, another streaming show? 
For Star Trek? Yeah. Star Trek Enterprise? No, no, like, like that was running at the same time as Picard. Oh, um, fuck. Yes, which was very good, but yeah. since it wasn't available yet on the streaming that I get, <laughs> I haven't watched the last season. Shit, it was, um, what was it called? It was very good. I don't. I'm bad with names, too. <laughs> I don't feel as bad now. No, no, no. I'm very bad um, with names. But you know what should have been a trilogy and doesn't get the respect that it deserves in the Star World? Spaceballs. Would you, I mean, that was uh, a fucking classic. I also, we, we deserve more of those kind of parodies in, in today's production world. Well, oftentimes... Could you imagine, like, that style of, like, the MCU? I, I just, just don't being I, completely ludicrous like that. I, I don't know if today's culture would understand how amazing Spaceballs was. Yeah, well, too bad for them. Oh, I agree, but it's also there's like, enough of us to fill that theater. What? Why do you say that? I don't know the style, like Airplane. It's like a very like Airplane, yeah, like that kind of comedy, scary movie, right? Well, scary, scary movie is good. It was good. It was a good movie. I, I guess I see. I think of Spaceballs and. Even though it's not a space thing, I think of uh, like it's it's in the same family of comedy as like this is the end, right? Where it's like a it's I, a it's a genre spoof, and it's like all super. You know what I'm talking about? No, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. Yeah, this is me. the end. It's uh, it's uh, um, uh, a bunch of comedians playing themselves. So the uh, uh, James Franco. The other uh, God, why, I'm blanking now on his name. We're having a name problem in this episode. <laughs> Apparently, we have uh, a big problem with uh, names Seth, on this episode. <laughs> Seth Rogen, Danny McBride. Um, what? How have I never seen so this? So they're all playing themselves. They're playing exaggerated versions of themselves oh, at a I, party I, at James Franco's house when the apocalypse starts. And so it's like an. Oh, apo- I've got to watch. This. It's like an apocalypse and movie. I cannot spoof. be sober for this. It's an apocalypse Can't movie spoof. <laughs> yeah, it's an apocalypse movie spoof in the same way that Spaceballs was. And so it's all these genre jokes, super exaggerated. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, and and it all starts with them at a party. What is this called? It's called This Is the End. This it's is incredible. The end. Oh, I'm I'm looking so this like, up tomorrow. So and it it goes to the extreme of like the rapture and like who's getting saved and who isn't and. Then, like, earlier when they're still trying to... My favorite scene in the whole movie is James Franco and Danny McBride arguing because they're all holed up in this house and, like, they don't think they can leave the house. But Danny McBride's been jizzing on all the porn magazines. <laughs> wow. What a turn. It's great. It's great. Taken. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Right. Have you ever seen The Good Place? No. I hear good things. That is one of my favorite shows ever. I've actually rewatched it three times. I am surprised my wife hasn't left me yet. But Ooh. it is such a great show, and it it it's weird because it's a comedy, but it's so profound and makes you think about everything from philosophy to religion to the afterlife. Like Little Nicky, it, it was it, it really, and yet at the same time, it's very absurd and ridiculous and hilarious. It, it's one of my favorite shows ever. Oftentimes, just talking about like how. You know, old and new movies and series or whatever. I think the best series that did it a great job of reinventing itself was Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if you ever watched that. Never saw it. Man. Whew. The new version of Battlestar Galactica is amazing. Really? Is that, so it's good. on Amazon, right? Maybe. I haven't rewatched it in many years. But and then you see things that there should be other renditions of or a movie of like 
Babylon 5. I've mentioned this so many times, and only like people that are deep into the Star Universe understand Babylon 5, but Babylon 5 was such a great show. Also not relived, and it should be redone, just good. Um, you know, there's like several of those kind of shows I would love to see happen again, and, you know, maybe it'll happen. I'm all about it. <laughs> I'm all about it. All right, guys, we've reached that moment. This is where we do our parting recommendations, maybe, if uh, if we have recommendations that weren't already covered and all that. Covered gonna, actually most of mine, but... Uh, but it sounds like you got something left in the tank. Yeah, I've got, I've got so, a few. So, go but for actually, it. Actually, can we touch on one last oh, topic before, before yeah. Love we topics. conclude? Yeah, no. Because I've, I've been talking to a lot of people in the industry, and, and you, you said something earlier about it. What is your take on why people can't find people to work in the restaurant industry right oh, now? Oh, man. I, oof, man. Because I think so many people have been grossly misdiagnosing this. I, I believe the same. I think, uh, so, I was actually interviewed just recently by the Washington Post about this. Cool. And they were like, well, what do you think about the labor shortage? I was like, I feel like our industry has had a labor shortage forever. You know, like. Interesting. There's never enough because of like how transient the restaurant culture is. Like, I feel like you're always down a, a, a person somewhere. The current culture could be indicative on when everything happened. Big corporations were the first to lay everyone off and protect themselves. And I think at that point, the employee does the same. They often say, okay, well, I need to look out for myself. And I think that kitchen people are the first people that are very scrappy to be like, I'm just going to figure this shit the fuck out. Right. And I'm going to get a job somewhere and I'm going to be able to provide and I'm going to do my things. And, you know, I saw a lot of that. I lost a bunch of cooks to Amazon warehouses and so on and so forth and things like that, which is, I'm like not mad at him for. Like, right. I get it. You you guys do you like I, I wish I had a job for you at that time. I think us internally, we we kept a good amount of people on and then we kept on bringing them back as the weeks kind of like progressed and we understood what was happening in the world. And I think that, yeah, we're understaffed, but we're understaffed now because we're relatively doing OK. Um, as in this like mass hysteria of a labor shortage I think there's always been a labor shortage in our industry because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't really want to cook when they find out what it takes to cook professionally. Right. Um, so, you know, I think each one of my kitchens is maybe a person, two people down, but that's not that far from what it was previously. Right. So the way I look at it is at the beginning – People were like, we're going to fire everyone. And they did. And I also understand that aspect too. But then they also weren't super inclined to bring them back quickly. Um, so I think there's a, a healthy amount of that. And I think other people found other dynamics to find source of revenue. And I think that's human behavior. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's indicative of like, well this person's being lazy or this person's being that or whatever. I, I just think that it's a, 
life gave you this thing and that's how they figure it out. I, I got to say, it's, it's extremely refreshing to hear you say that because I, I've seen, particularly online, especially on LinkedIn, where people are like, oh, well, you know, people are just collecting benefits and sitting at home. And it's like, man, the data is not showing that. Florida is at 4.7% unemployment. Right. That, I mean, economists call full employment at 4.1 or 4.5. Right. And yeah, Miami-Dade's a little higher, but not that much. Right. Nebraska is at like post-World War II employment with like three point something and they have the same issues we're having. So the numbers just say otherwise. And you nailed it with Amazon. Amazon hired 500,000 additional employees throughout the pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, Amazon, I think, you know, however, whatever you think about their business model or whatever you think about their business, they were built for this situation. And, you know, they were going to do fine even if this situation didn't happen. It just accelerated. It their just accelerated. Success. Their I know it's as cliche as it, that is to say. Now. Right. It you know it accelerated the growth of you know the evil empire that is Uber Eats also and the other actual things too that are within that realm. But Amazon started as like a a bookstore, you know, essentially, and now they're this Walmart, virtual Walmart, Walmart kind of thing. The um, virtual kitchen of retail. Uh, I I don't see it the same because uh, they I don't see it the same for me it's definitely not the same food when you experience the moment of cooking food and having a connection to said food and making it great it is very difficult to experience that in a warehouse and I think that that's my very romantic view on the situation. If you want, I, I can, can see get, that. I can get more to like the nuts and bolts of why I think that it's different and wrong, but um, it's more like the structural people dressing themselves up in this white dress. And, and I, I think we kind of addressed that early on, where it's more of a, a dislike of inauthenticity because you can sure. put together good food, whether it be out of a warehouse or out of a truck or out of any place, so long as there's a, a person and a soul with a face that's driving that uh, and not just data and statistics and positioning. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard for me to say that we can we can execute great food. And even at that moment when it's done, and you, bye, Emma, even you, someone that made it a point that you cook everything to order, Right. Then you have to cook that to order and then put it in a box and it takes 30 minutes to get to them. Right. Is that the best you that you are? No, it's not. And that's, you know, places like, I'm going to use Domino's because I like Domino's. Places like Domino's, they build, they build their model to be good when it gets to your house. Now, right. it's not always, they don't, they don't bat 100%, but they build it that way. So I think at that point, like for me, I mean, oh, pizza was built for that, right? The resting time is the time that it's sure going to you. Um, I don't think the pizza. I don't know why the pizza industry hasn't adopted vents, but I think uh, venting that would work so well for the product. I I wonder if they've really done that analysis. I I would think that with how many people they have behind them, they have to have done the cost analysis of like why should this be vented or why should it not. I mean, I feel like it'd just be so much more if it wasn't sitting in that steam. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree. I still think Domino's is great. Um, 
I, you know, maybe I've just got to start a pizza concept and start pussy. I mean, yeah, pizza, tacos, and burgers, man. You're very close. You're very close. (laughs) One down. Yeah, you're very close. You're thirty three percent right now. So, I don't know. I I feel like the the labor shortage, as much as that's like a national topic right now, I feel like the world very much just attaches itself to a thing and then they just run with it until they're exhausted by it absolutely and then when they're exhausted by it it'll be the next thing and that's all what social media and has kind of created it's like this monster of like domino like one person said a thing and it got five thousand likes so then we're just gonna fucking piggyback this thing and we're gonna be like yeah we should all do a cheese pull cool hundred percent and then so it just, I'm actually going to save my commentary on that for the actual recommendation because that's one of my recommendations there is and then on just, that whole psychology. And then it just happens. And then I think the labor shortage has always been there. I feel like dumbing down the world to saying, like, well, people are lazy. Sure, there's always been lazy people. Of course. That's not – Not that, denying that those people don't exist. That that, that happened. Like, that happens. To sum this whole thing up as that, I think, is just – one, it's a horrible recruiting well, strategy. Well, that 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 in, <laughs> like, that in and of itself is lazy. Yes, to, it's, to, I, I call it entitled people calling others entitled. It's right. Like, it's it's this whole like uh, this weird dichotomy of being like, well, you don't want to work, you're lazy. But how do you know they don't want to work? I, it doesn't make any sense. Like, have you had a conversation with people, and you actually can say, "Go ahead, Nick." I was going to say, so I, I I won't name names here because I don't know that these are things that they would say publicly. But I've I've had these conversations with at least a couple of other restaurateurs. Who, who, in fairness to at least to those individuals, have said that it's been their experience, at least anecdotally. And I think that they're basing this on uh, the employees who they're asking to come back and who are declining, telling them outright that that's why they're not coming back. Right. But they're not attributing it to laziness. I mean, I think there's a very rational – I think that a lot of people who would attribute the, the their experience of a shortage to uh, – whatever unemployment benefits not necessarily to laziness but to a totally rational response to a benefit that wasn't there before i mean uh, on some level it's i think it's a little bit unfair to necessarily say it's like a slur like you're calling them lazy it's you know it's it's neither party's fault that this is the artificial way oh no and i i definitely get that and i definitely get the the government dropped the ball in tying this to employment because We've already seen, like in Stockton, California, where when it is universal uh, as a benefit, that it actually encourages employment and people get better jobs and work more and mental health improves and all of this stuff. Um, however, I think people just dilute it down to that one issue. And I think those people are not going to end up recovering from this long term because it's such a more complex issue. You mentioned something there that we actually haven't touched on at all, which is the mental health aspect of the last year. I mean, the the toll that that's taken on human behavior is going to be felt for years. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like um, – and I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to – I don't want to say it's just like uh, it's the big corporations and whatever. It's just like dumbing it down to this thing. It's like people don't want to work. and Man, people are fucking taxed. Like people are fucking taxed. People are exhausted by like the unknowing of tomorrow, and we're still living in a world that we d- we're still in an unknowing of tomorrow. Absolutely. And, and anyone who could tell me that, it w- yeah, we're fine. N- 
No. No. We're, we're not fine. <laughs> Nobody's fucking fine. My people, we're not fine. Like, things are still happening. What's happened over the last year will reverberate forever. That whole, like, the... And it, and it all goes back to the mental health aspect of the last year. I, I, I truly, I, I personally live it. I know it's every day. I'm just like, so cool. So like a year ago, and I mentioned it at the beginning before we were even recording, but shitty Mustang. People love their mufflers, man. I know I have mufflers on my car too, but it's not like that. Um, (laughs) you know, People are so quick to, like, dismiss what's happened. But a year ago, right now, Nick and I were, like, literally recording in Nick's backyard just trying to, like, pass time. Right. And and it was actually, at, at that time, when we were recording, because we were just drinking heavily at his house, what, like, it was actually illegal to be out after a certain time. Right. And... Um, I find that fascinating how we live in such a quick moving society that people have forgotten that a year ago you weren't supposed to be outside of your house after 10 or you weren't supposed to do certain things. You weren't allowed to do certain things. I remember a year ago now I was walking down the streets of Coconut Grove and it was fucking empty. There was not a fucking person on the street. It was fucking eerie. It was empty. And like this neighborhood is a community and there's people walking around all the time the only thing that had people in front of it was chugs because we had a window that people would walk up to order food and get the food and they weren't even allowed to eat there right we had people sitting on sidewalks to eat their sandwich and i had no other choice but to say i don't know what else to do for you and at the time there was nothing much you could do and and just like going back to that mental health aspect like me i'm such a creature of like i need to drive myself and and give myself some kind of like uh something to do i was literally still coming to the office every day to just figure shit out right like that was literally it and we're just like well what the fuck is wrong with all these people what do you mean a year ago like (laughs) everything is wrong with everybody like Like, a a year ago we were totally stuck and uh, i mean it's fascinating to me how how quickly people have moved on, and I think I, I'm I'm a little exhausted by it by people saying, "Well, people are lazy." I'm like, "That's your grand thing. That's what you've come up with. People are fucking what lazy." A, such a profound thought. I am, oof, I'm invigor like that is invigorating. What a deep thought you have. You've got a whole world that's exhausted mentally yes. and physically exhausted. I mean, and that's not even to talk about what was happening within society. The presidential election, which was exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. I, I just, I didn't even care. I just wanted it to be over. Like, See, and I was the asshole that cared way too much. So I followed. Listen, every I, I, inch I, I of cared and I have, I spent a lot of time with Nick. He obviously cares. Like, just like I cared, but I was just so exhausted. Like, cause you have to deal with like life and then work and then now this. And it was such a show. I feel like I was watching like, 24 with Keith Sutherland every day. It was wild. It was like, every minute something else or was going a wrong. Better, a better representation, Designated Survivor, which is on Netflix, which is actually good. Love Designated Survivor. Such a good show. Love Designated they Survivor. Sh- they shat the bed with yes. season three. Netflix they shat the bed. Yeah, they shat the bed. Like Madam Secretary, also a good show. I'd vote for her. <laughs> I would. I, she's my kind of president. But uh, 
and and it, I think it's it's so critical that people seek help. I mean, yeah. Early on in this, I, I won't even bullshit you. I lost the will to live. Yeah, wasn't suicidal, but I didn't really want to be here. Yeah, and it was a fucking horrible feeling, and you know, and people have to realize that it is perfectly okay to seek that help to talk to somebody. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, and I think right now therapist needs to be the most in demand fucking job on the planet. Uh, because I think the whole world needs one. I, I think there should be one in the white house. Yeah. Um, I, I, they I, definitely like, need a few. <laughs> um, there's like, we all went through some shit and, it doesn't matter what demographic you are in, in any case, whether you're a parent or you're not like seeing kids go through this. I mean, it's insane. I can't imagine what toll this is all going to take on kids for years to come. Yeah. I mean, that that's a whole other conversation, but it's, we, we've lived the last 18 months of a life that hopefully we never have to live again. I truly hope we never have to live this. It, again. uh, it, it sorry. It, it calls to mind for me just hearing you guys talk about it. Uh, I don't know whether you remember this, but from the conversation with uh, with Ricardo Paulosa, uh, it, it was a completely different topic. This was I, I think we recorded that before COVID. Um, and but Ricardo Paulosa is a, a, an art collector, and he's one of the sort of like most important critics of Latin American art. And we got to talking about there was a lot of overlap in the conversation with history and and what have you. And so in the course of contrasting. Uh, art coming out of the U.S. with Latin American art, he sort of, uh, and I, I may be like I'm a lot being a lot more vague about the cause and effect here, but sort of points to points in history where he refers to uh, America having lost what I think he called its epic sense of purpose, and so like at various times, like I've thought, you know, because there's always those generational com- uh, comparisons, like what have this, what's this one been through, and what's that one been through. And, you know, I think there's like this impulse to compare, say, COVID to uh, a depression or World War II. But I think what makes this one so different is that there was no everyone was sort of stripped of their agency and their sense that they could do anything about it. Right. Like you could be in a desperate depression or you could be in the midst of a war, even if you're in Europe. Right. And there's still this sense of like there's something happening that I can contribute to overcoming it. And with this, the situation was. You just keep telling people, hunker down, don't do shit, and just pray for the best. Hope that your life comes back to, and there's nothing you can do about it. But that take that's I think what takes a toll. I absolutely, and early on, that definitely took a toll on a lot of people. The interesting part is we're in that moment now, and we're we're really shitting the bed on it. Uh, particularly like when it comes to vaccines, where it's like become this like weird topic, like it's become a political topic for some weird reason. And like we, we have this huge hesitancy with this vaccine where we're like, oh, it's so new. And and our media and public officials do a shit job of really communicating this. MRNA was developed in the 70s, right? This is not new. We've been working on this for decades and so many people have spent countless amount of hours and years of their lives developing this. And we're already talking about curing cancer and vaccinating for malaria, which is riddled country for years. And we're like, I'm not taking that shit. And it's it, it's this kind of me, me, me culture is really what's like we're witnessing what could be the fall of an empire if we don't really get our shit together. 
ready for recommendation? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, 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 uh, there's a lot of gravity to that statement. It, it's yeah. like that, you know, and, and I, I, I'm I, as anti-collectivism as the next person. I well, believe no, I, in I, individual I, and, and, and responsibility, et cetera. But at some point we have to wake up and say, holy shit, we really have to pull through this and get out on the other side of this. I have to say, like, I'm, I'm a pessimist by nature. Right. And I, really, I've never, I couldn't tell by listening all right. to all these episodes. <laughs> I, I mean, that's only because you listen. Um, the uh, people only tune in for the recommendations. So I have a, a hard issue trusting people. Right. And especially political types. So for me, it's when they're like, we should do this. And I'd be like, it's all it also falls on like finances and just like structure and business and how this is such a business oriented country which i get and i'm not opposed to i just feel like there's like there's got to be a catch right and i and i get your side and i get all the other people's sides too and i'm not saying i'm like anti-vaccine or whatever i just feel like well, i'm what there's going to be, is there a ball that's going to drop? I don't trust you. I don't like you. Even if I voted for you, I don't like you. And that could be for anyone I voted for. It could be a local commissioner. Totally fair. It could be like whatever. Because at the end of the day, you're totally driven by money. Absolutely. And and I think that that to me is the biggest issue. A lot, like, just in simplifying it as much as I can. The way that I run my, my restaurant and my company it's not the way that a lot of other restaurant groups run their company. And I run standards first, right? So I look at that whole thing and I'm like, that's just like a simple way of looking at it. Now, if you're going to look at it on the national political scale of finances and how that affects that person, I feel like it's totally skewed. And it's just totally like, that's why I have a hard trust issue with right. any political type. So when they're saying, to me, hey, you should do this, I'll be like, but why? Uh, who so, who lined who lined your pocket for me for you to say I should, and that's where I have the visceral problem with anyone telling me what I should do. I need to come to that assumption on my own. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but it's also with that comes a responsibility to actually look at information, Agreed. get the right data, sure. and then make a sound decision of what's right for you. So in our household, I was jumping like hey get that shit in my arm but for my wife my wife has a rare strain of a rare disease mm. and in the most simplified terms she's allergic to any hormonal imbalance whether it be getting pregnant or taking birth control pills wow. uh with our three kids she spent half of her pregnancies in the hospital wow so my first instinct was you're not taking this shit until we have more data Right. Like that was my natural instinct, because of those study groups, how many of them had this rare. S- <laughs> this is new. <laughs> this is a new one. I don't know. Oh, that's great. Just so people understand <laughs> context. <laughs> talking about political types, a city truck has pulled up right outside of the podcast and now is leaf blowing now at 12 o'clock at night. Oh, my God. It's 12 quarter to 12. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, Chef, it's 12. My my bedtime's at 9, so this is... You have far exceeded your bedtime, leaves. sir. <laughs> Welcome to Panko Podcast with Mike Beltran and Nick Jimenez, where the vices uh, start and end. There it is! <laughs> there it is! <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. This is national.
never happened. This, no, this is, is such awesome. A, this is such a right at recommendation. Bunkum podcast first. The gentleman has now lit this leaf blower up and is just blowing to absolutely I don't know where the fuck. This is so Where's good. the Zamboni when you need it? Where is the fucking Zamboni? I was waiting for the Zamboni the whole time. And we have this gentleman walking by with a beer. He probably got it at Taurus. He's happy as shit. <laughs> I don't... You, re- you ready for the wind down? <laughs> and now for parting recommendations on Pangum Podcast with guest star The Leaf Blower. <laughs> That's all. Sorry, the leaf blower did interrupt your story about your family and, and the vaccine. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> is he coming closer? Now? That's so good. Uh, so I I understand that there's always hesitancy, there's always questions, and we should seek and we should ask them, and we should be we should always be weary of what politicians tell us. Um, but it's also on us to actually seek facts and look at what's yeah. right for us and also not judge each other for people who say this isn't right for me or my family. Right. And we should just be able to support each other in this fucking weird ass time without I, any judgment, whether we choose to get it or not. Well, I'm not screaming at you to go get it regardless of what you feel, but at least do it based on some good data. This is too good. The leaf blower is just so good. I just, uh, I'm going to piggyback onto that. I'm going to talk real close to the microphone. Um, (laughs) I don't, I never judged anyone the whole time. No matter who you voted for, I don't judge you. You do what you do. That's part of human life and being free in this country. Whatever you decide to do, you do it. That's part of the thing. Um. <laughs> so good, man. This is what? epic. Oh, man. It's just like... I feel like we're in Mad Max right now. Right? The cars... If Mad like, Max had Subarus. Yeah. <laughs> Subarus with extra large mufflers. Exhaust. So good. Um, but I think that's part of the thing is we're so quick to like judge people and to be upset at them for having a, a differing opinion. If I would rather have taken my time to figure out whether I was going to get vaccinated or not, that's totally my choice, and I'm free to make that choice. Um, and if people want to judge me for it, that's, like, totally on them. You know, Absolutely. I, and, and if you were the first person in line, I'd be like, that's good, man. If you feel like that's something that you feel totally comfortable doing and you, you're you're for that, I support you in doing that. That's the beauty of being in this country and I think that's why a lot of our families came here to be free to have those decisions. Um, I've never understood that's what the children call now cancel culture, right? That's yes. What the, that's what the nice. kids call cancel culture. It, that's not, I hate adopting that mentality. You do you and I'm totally okay with, and I support you in that process. I think me, I need a little more time to feel comfortable with the decision. I've made my decisions and I'm moving forward with them, but it's a very... And the Zamboni! <laughs> and the Zamboni's here! The Zamboni's moving quick, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's ready to go home. <laughs> this is such a good end. It's so good. 
<laughs> we got a leaf blower and a Zamboni. I don't even know what to do with that myself. Zamboni's in a hurry. He's No, nah, he's ready to go. This guy's actually in his way. He's going to send an email to somebody or a text to somebody about this city truck being in his way of Zamboni. Zamboni. Oh, there he comes baby. back. Hey, oh, baby. Oh, man. And all you are now punk on podcast Hall of Fame for so many reasons. <laughs> Eloquent conversation and Zamboni and Leaf Blower guy. Look, get, look well, they're arguing. They're having He's a chat. Like, yeah, having a chat. You're in my way, dog. Get up out of the way. He's like, nah, I'm just doing my job. You're blowing the shit back on the road where I'm. <laughs> I got to Zamboni this shit. Like, keep your leaves on the sidewalk, my man. Wow. All right. And now for our parting recommendations. Nadal, you had a little left in the tank. What do you got for recommendations here? Trying to now, I have to think of new ones because I, I kind of covered oh. them. Uh, definitely recommend The Good Place. If you've never watched it, you must watch it. Beautiful, thought-provoking, hilarious <laughs> show. Stick around! Get after it, my G. Oh, man. Oops. May now have the cleanest street in Coconut Grove. Damn right we do. By far. I leaf blow every day. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I leaf blow every day. We have a... (laughs) 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 Double Zamboni. I know. Double Zamboni. There's like a double rainbow, but double Zamboni. (laughs) He's still mad. They're getting into a conversation again. Yeah, I leaf blow every day. Well, that's great. I, I grew up watching my dad sweeping his parking lot all the time, and I have I, I, I love it when business owners like do those small odd jobs around their business to demonstrate that they're nobody's above the work. Yeah, I have them. We we pressure clean the sidewalk. Nice, because you should. You should. I know it's not, it's not like ours, but they're not going to give a fuck about it the way that you give a fuck about nope. it. So No, sir. Pressure wash your sidewalk. I'm sorry. Go on. Party so recommendations. My next recommendation, this one's a really important one. It's a book. It's called Hate Incorporated by Matt Taibbi. And it is a book. <laughs> what? <Are you> kidding me? <laughs> this is. Zamboni Loser Lips? Is that what's going on? <laughs> telling you. Cleanest street in the Grove, man. Never. Never. This is going to come back? He's got to come back. Are we getting a triple this, Zamboni? This is yet to be seen. Is this a hat trick? Triple. This is a hat trick Zamboni <laughs> on Bongo Podcast. The Zamboni! <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to stop. He's got to stop. Because he's still mad the guy hasn't left. <laughs> we may get a quadruple Zamboni here, man. We might. Wow. Man. For, I am elated. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Oh, man. So so the book, and, and it actually touches on a few things that we've talked about today, on how the media thrives and profits off of us hating each other. Oh, man, so much. It, it, so, and if you've read no. Noam Chomsky's... <laughs> no! <laughs> there we go, number four. <laughs> I'm so confused. We've lost such valuable time. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. It's quite all right. It's actually quite entertaining. But he's coming back. Oh, again. man. <laughs> At least they're getting shorter now, and he's just looping it. He's just pissed that the guy hasn't moved. He's got to call it a day eventually. 
Are we going to get, like, what is it, a quintuplet? <laughs> a quintuplet? <laughs> is that five? The Zambuplet? <laughs> all right, I think it's all of our bedtimes at this stage. Nah, man. I'm still good to go. Uh, I don't go to sleep till like, 3 a.m. every day. Oh, man. I That sometimes happens to me, but more so anxiety and less energy. Um, so the, the book, I think we're good. I think you're wrong. He's definitely coming back. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> what the fuck? I don't understand, though. I almost want to ask him, like, why have you been yeah. by five times? It's amazing. I hope it's not the Cadillac, man. Let's give him a moment. Go right back. There he goes. What is going on? Can you look up what is it six times? Like, how do you say six? Like, quintuplet? I mean, that would be a uh, six would be the sextuplet. Sextuplet. Yeah. What's seven? I guess septuplet? I'm is, guessing. That is point. correct. Yeah? Septuplet? That is correct. Yes. Man, this is wild. I just, <laughs> I never had to go that high. Man. Um... We're going to get an octoboni? I'm going I'm I'm to sneak it in before he does come <laughs> okay, back, all right. though. Here we go. So the book highlights a lot about, like, just how this division is. People people are profiting off of us hating each other and canceling each other. And so definitely recommend that book. Um, <laughs> one more time. I just don't understand. I think he's going to park it. No. So I, think I think he's, he's looping like, somewhere else yeah. now. Um, I'm also a huge Dave Chappelle fan. If you don't, if you haven't watched every last one of his specials on Netflix, I'm a huge comedy fan overall. I could probably list off 30 comic comedy specials. Favorite um, comedy special on Netflix currently? Whew, that's a loaded question. All depends on the mood. Um, Hassan Minhaj, Homecoming King, amazing one. Daniel Sloss, very underrated. Uh, and when you just need to fucking belly laugh, Burt Kreischer's S- Secret Time. Fucking hilarious. Nice. I love that. I oftentimes, like, I try to watch some of these comedy specials and I just can't really get into them. Some of them, I just like, some are amazing. Some are hard to watch. I, I put <coughs> my wife through many bad comedy specials. Oh, you did? Um, He's parked in the Zamboni, man. <laughs> he did. He parked it, right? This is my home. I don't know. I can't see him from here. Yeah, I think he parked it. Um... I love that uh, Mo Ammer, Vagabond, yeah. awesome. I mean, in terms of my story, I relate to that kind of Vagabond, Nomad type of feeling. Uh, it's also hilarious. Um, and Dave Chappelle is just one of the greatest storytellers I think our world has ever seen, where he mixes in that kind of profound thought with pussy jokes. It's hilarious. I mean, he's, his <laughs> execution is like on it's another level. It's flawless. It's just like his lead up to things is like his it's just it really is and it, it's so fucking natural, man. It's just like his the whole structure of his shows are it's incredible. Did you ever see his uh he had received that Mark Twain prize? Yes, and I saw the special on Oh it. man, so that good. was so great. Mm-hmm. Neil kill actually Neil Brennan's three mics, uh he has a Netflix special as well. So amazing. He does this thing where he's got three microphones and each one serves a different type of comedy. 
and one is like one-liners another one is kind of traditional stand-up and then another one where he goes into like this deep like mental health history and all of his struggles and his family issues really really great special i mean i could literally talk stand-up comedy for hours like that's one of the things i actually miss the most i'm dying to get back into a, a comedy club oh yeah uh, i had tickets to see dave Chappelle and joe rogan last april oh man what a bummer yeah it was i was so my wife and i had just landed in memphis when i bought the tickets when they went on sale we just got out of the airport i'm like jumping as i'm getting my tickets i dropped like 1600 dollars on those things in new orleans i told my brother rain sleet hail or snow we're gonna fucking drive to new orleans we didn't didn't say high as hell what's that you didn't say pandemic i didn't say pandemic right that's right unfortunately that was that was the one that, that killed the show and they've got a show coming up in vegas and i'm tempted to do it i may do it man. i might do it do it do it. I shouldn't do it, but I really nah, want to do, do it. I feel like that's equivalent if Sade goes on tour again. I'm going to do whatever it takes to watch <laughs> Sade. That's how, that's how I feel about it. I feel you. Yeah, I just can't. I, I feel like I've just got on the longest recommendation. No, I mean, it was, Zamboni it was, it was a six-time Zamboni push, and I think he's going to come by again because the guy finally moved. I don't know, man. This is crazy. Mike, you got recommendations? Um, We did talk about some of my recommendations already. You know, like I watched WandaVision. I thought it was great. The uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I also thought that they were great. Um, and then another parting recommendation I have is to look up hashtag no name mutual aid. And it's a former punk home podcast guest. Chris Hughesby is basically uh, selling T-shirts and raising money from those said T-shirts. And then with that money. He's buying food, and then he, uh, and this also has to do with another former guest, uh, Mabel. What was the name of her her thing exactly? Adopt a Family Miami. Right, similar to that, and basically goes to these uh, underprivileged neighborhoods that have the the refrigerator that just has food in it. Okay, and he fills it up with uh, meals that are complete. And uh, people get them out, they warm them up, and they eat them. If not, they just eat them cold. That's so great. And uh, he does that with half of the food that he cooks, and then the other half he just puts it in these uh, large um, hotel pans, you know, like the uh, yep. dispensable the ones, disposable ones. ones. And um, he takes them to a place, and then they divvy them out. And we cooked together last week, and we're going to continue doing that. But. Chris is an amazing human with lots of thoughts. Um, this would actually be a great four-piece conversation if Chris were here. And um, I think that what he's doing is incredible, and uh, I'm happy to just lend a hand. And uh, I think that's something that people – that is an initiative that people can get behind. Chris is, like, incredibly cerebral about his thoughts, whether I agree with them or not. And um, – you know, this one, he has a lot of feelings about, you know, how some of these uh, food drives go and how the food happens and how people make money and so on and so forth. And his approach to it, I think, is incredible. And, and I was happy to be a part of it, me, myself. That's really great. Cool, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, like he, he doesn't have like a commercial kitchen. So I obviously offer my kitchen whenever he wants it. Um, and he also cooks with uh, Simon from El Bagel also. And, um, you know, I think it's something that at the end of the day, that's what we do food for, you know. And the Zamboni is back. 
I'm shocked. Like, why is he back? <laughs> he's going to circle around. You know he's circling around. Huh? He's going to circle around, too. I know. This is real. We've been doing this a long time. A long time. It's always one pass. He's going to get that one spot. I want him to get that one spot. That's what he's doing. That's the whole reason. you got to be kidding me. He was waiting for that guy to move the whole time. Wow. Wow. That's commitment. On that the is Zamboni. fucking commitment, man. Well, city okay. of Miami, if you're wondering if they're yeah. getting all the your nooks Zamboni, and crannies. Your street Zamboni is fucking Working killer. overtime over there. Gotta give killer. that guy credit. Takes pride in what he does. I love it. I want to hire him for a job. So <laughs> did you say where people can find information about? Um, yeah, please share that. I mean, you know, uh, his Instagram is Feeling Better Bakers. Um, and, you know... You can see a lot of content about the No Name Mutual Aid thing. I bought a bunch of shirts. Uh, I feel like it's just something that everyone can get behind. It. And then I when I've actually gone up a size since the pandemic, so I'll probably pick up a couple t-shirts. Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, I just is he coming back? Maybe. I don't know, man. This is wild. Is he? Yes, he is. Man, this is so this is so crazy. Maybe he's really milking the clock. You think he's milking the clock? shocked yeah um you know he says that the shirts are like 40 bucks and if you want to throw in more you know you throw in more it's just like one of those things that the shirts cost a certain thing but if you want to throw in more to support the thing right. and then when this is like the only this is the the one time i feel that social media is good when i posted about what we were doing and the thing i got several people that contacted me like hey we would love to donate food we would do the thing you know you don't even need to mention us or whatever we just believe in this thing and i think that that's to me what in essence food is all about and um again that's the very romantic portion of me talking about feeding people but i i feel like chris is doing amazing work it's the ultimate way of connecting people with food. Right. And, you know, he's told me plenty of stories of just, like, just giving people a meal when they really need it. And I think that that was – and how, like, intense my personal life has been in the last, like, month, that was probably the highlight of my professional things over the last month. And, we've, you know, it's been – I feel fortunate that we've been doing very well. and But that, to me – and we were here till three thirty in the morning. Wow! After service, the same way we're doing this now. After service, we started. We lit up the grill. We cooked, and we did our thing. And we packed them up. Packaged them up at three, and he took them all to where they needed to go. Wow! That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. So I have a uh, a number of things. Uh, I'll transition us into uh, a little bit of. Well, I'll just do the recommendations. Um, so one, thanks to again to Aganorsa Leaf. That's what we've been smoking today. That's the uh, Casa Fernandez Miami Aniversario. Uh, one recommendation: uh, YouTube clips from a podcast called Come Town. Uh, it is a comedy podcast. I sent you, I think, one of these clips. They do some really great movie. I, feel like I need to relight for this part of this. <laughs> <laughs> some really great movie uh, commentary uh, stuff, inclu- especially uh, the clip where they are commenting on Steven Seagal movies. 
uh, is incredible. If you are a fan of laughing at how ridiculous Steven Seagal has become, uh, Town's commentary on Steven Seagal movies is pretty great. Uh, a thing that is very good on Amazon, a series... I This has been around for a while, but I only recently watched the, the first season. Uh, Wayne on Amazon is a... Uh, it's like if Wes Anderson and uh, Quentin Tarantino made a movie together. Uh, like Wes Anderson quirky teen couple drama with like Quentin Tarantino level gore. Uh, awesome, awesome series. And a thing that uh, was mentioned before its release by Peter Santamaria. I've been watching Invincible on Amazon which is uh, an animated series based on uh, based on a comic book by, I forget the name, but it's not DC or Marvel. Uh, it's like a, uh, like a smaller publisher. Right. Uh, but Invincible is great. It's um, uh, J.K. Simmons, uh, the, the lead guy, the Korean-American guy from Walking Dead. I forget his name now. Oh, yeah. He was just in that uh, Minari. Uh-huh. Yeah. So nominated for a bunch of shit. Yeah, uh, Jason Manzukis. Uh, so like, super solid cast, and it's especially if you're into Marvel, where there's like a lot of the snark stuff in there uh, in terms of the tone of the of the writing. Really, really good. I like snark. Yeah, snark is fun. There's a lot of good snark. I feel stuff. like there's a lot of snark here currently. <laughs> so, uh, so we're good. So, uh, and then shifting gears a little bit. Uh, a while back, Mike and I recorded uh, a couple of episodes where we were just talking about the uh, Movimiento San Isidro, uh, one of the, the leaders of that movement in Cuba, which is a, a dissident movement of, of artists and intellectuals and journalists, uh, Luis, um, Luis Manuel Otero Alcántara, uh, has been uh, on a hunger strike, and this morning we're recording this May 4th, uh, was arrested on the seventh day of his hunger strike. Uh, and at the time that we're recording this, like the call is to demand some kind of proof of life from the Cuban government. The concern is that they would like sort of dictate his conditions such that they like would force him to die, uh, which would not be the first time that something like that had happened. Uh, so if you want to keep tabs on that, this is by no means the best place to do it. In fact, I'm sure some things will have changed by the time you hear this, but, uh, the places that I would recommend you follow, if you're an Instagram person, Movimiento San Isidro, which is M-O-V underscore San Isidro, uh, and then past guest Rosa Maria Paya and her organization Cuba Decide. Finally, since we mentioned t-shirts in connection to San Isidro, uh, I would recommend um, former, he's now retired, UFC fighter Ricardo Lamas, who's on Instagram is Ricardo Lamas, L-A-M-A-S, MMA, Ricardo Lamas MMA, uh, designed some shirts. They're great. That uh, I bought one of them. They're 40 bucks. All the profits go to support Movimiento San Isidro. The front is a cartoon of him pissing on Fidel Castro's grave. Perfect idea. Uh, and the back says, Todos somos San Isidro. And he will send you, at least he sent me, a postcard-sized photo that he autographs. So you'll get a, an autograph from a guy who's fought for UFC titles out of the deal. Uh, but Ricardo Lamas MMA, I just love that this guy like did not have to do any of this, uh, took it upon himself to like have the t-shirts made and is selling them just like DM me, give me your Venmo information or like you, you Venmo him the money and he ships you the thing. 
sure enough, I did it and I got a shirt in the mail within a few days. So this, you know, uh, fan favorite pro athlete is selling shirts on, on Instagram and That's Venmo. That's really great. To benefit this uh, organization in Cuba. a lot of t-shirts tonight, apparently, yeah. since... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Insomnia is definitely fucking with me tonight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's interesting how the merchandising of things is just a simple way to support something that you support. I mean, I often have this, like, uh, battle at home. It's like, well, why did you buy more shirts? I'm like, because I support this guy. Right. I support right. this thing. I want to do the thing. I'm like, are you going to wear it? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. I I probably will, but not all the time. But it's just like a simple, just like, hey, a pissing I, on Fidel's grave kind of sounds. Nah, like it's good. It's a good one. It's a good one. No, that's a good one. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I support that. Uh, so uh, shameless, a lot of in person likes. Right, <laughs> that's true. Uh, shameless plugs. Nadal, let everybody know where they can find you and any things that you're up to and working on and all the rest. Shameless plugs. I don't know. I'm in such as like weird like limbo mode these days. Um, but obviously, we we'll always recommend Pincho. It's it's our baby. Um, can, you know, if you care about my political musings, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Nadal A Ahmad. Um, <laughs> I love Twitter. Twitter, the Twitter machine. I'm a fan of. I have a love hate relationship with it. I, I hate the uh, the the blue check mafia uh, of sure. like all these elites who think they know better than everybody. But uh, it also there's some decent, meaningful conversation and news happening there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 about it on the on the shameless plugs right now. Mike, shameless plugs. All the things. Have you heard the new shameless plug music that I sent you earlier? No. I'm going to play it here just because you're going to get a kick out of it, but we'll actually cut it in in post. Uh, a new a remix from listener Noah. Oh, boy. Uh, this is his new... You're going to love this. All the things. I still got to recommend all my shit. I mean, we've, we've done this 80 times already. All the things. All the things. All the things. Yeah, all the things. All the things. All the things. All the all the things. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's good. I, 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 I support the use of this, I, uh, this clip. I'm going to be in the fucking shower yeah. tonight oh, singing that. Oh, it's pretty catchy. We can put it's that good. on Spotify, I think. It's good. Yeah, it's got some legs uh, to it. So, final shameless plugs. You can support what we're doing. Well, first, find us all over the social media things sure. at Bangkong Podcast uh, or dadmag.com slash Bangkong Podcast. You can support what we're doing at patreon.com slash Dade. Mag, if you were a $15 a month person getting mugs, Patreon added a function that will allow you to get a mug every three months instead of just after the third month and then no more. So now the $15 a month tier gets you a Pankong podcast mug every three months. Imagine your cabinets loaded with logo mugs of our pornographic Man, what an amazing life you're living. Also, breaking news here. This is brand new stuff. Okay. There will be, by the time you hear this, another new $15 tier that will be limited to 24 people. Wow. 24 what people. A lucky 24 people. 24 people contributing 15 bucks a month will, on a monthly basis, get Abuela Mami coffee in oh, the mail. Oh, that's right. Abuela Mami coffee for you in the mail every month if for you're you, at that $15 that tier. So now, what you need to do is uh, ditch the mug and get cafecito cups. That's true. Well, there could be another tier for that. I don't know, you know if Patreon's ready for Cafecito Cups, man. <laughs> so, I mean, 
you know, for those of us that don't drink brewed coffee, it's coming. Like, it's coming soon, eventually. Soon, soon, you could find you could buy a Chugs branded cafecito cup and go. mug when Chugs opens. Hopefully, sometime in this century. Very good. Yeah. Uh, and let me just double check, I, but I, I heard I think that's all the things. That statement. Yeah, no, I'm so there. It's yeah, good though. Dude. Oh, good. and also, you know, just uh, leave a review or subscribe on YouTube. Nice you know, are all planted. The reviews are not planted. Some of these are coming from places that I had no idea where they came from. All right. Well, let's That's thank it. Nadal. Let's do the quick thank Patreon. Thank you, Nadal. Because we got we to do the thing. And if Nadal's you're still tired. here. 17 kids and f- 46 brothers and sisters. Time for the lightning <laughs> round. If you're a Patreon person. Nadal, thanks for being on this. He always forgets. But, you know, people, not everyone pays the 30 bucks to do Thank you guys for yeah. having me on. I, I really, really had a great time tonight. Thank you.